I don't know what I want to talk about. When is this episode going to be posted? You're the producer. <laughs> you you have extended knowledge as to when these things will occur. Yeah, but we've got we've got a lot of backlog at the moment. Well, I would want to get this up relatively quickly, and yes. I think it doesn't fit with the Halloween stuff we're about to do, so I would imagine put it up before the Halloween, and my idea is to do it as a Saturday morning special. Okay. Because it's Saturday morning cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons. Well, Sunday morning cartoons are why I don't go to church, really. I mean, still, to this day. Make sure you're talking to the microphone, Gabe. Oh, you're scolding me for not talking properly. Yeah, I See, am. See, now it's like church already. Right. Hmm. That's what. That's how I roll. This is not how I wanted to open the episode, David. <laughs> Why not? Oh, but I don't know. I mean, because cartoons. Cartoons are awesome. I, I watch cartoons. That's yeah. what I do. Cartoons versus animation versus just calling it a film. I don't know. I love. I love cartoons. I love animation. I love the whole shebang. I'm. I'm in. In for a penny, out for a pound, as they say. You watch a lot more cartoons than I do. <laughs> I think the average. 20-something-year-old probably does. This is true, but and many of them would probably not have um, right for a fan website of a cartoon either, so and make true. that a major part of their life. Now, have you ever run into those people who, like, if you call anime a cartoon, they get mad? I've run an anime group for the last five years, so absolutely I've run into those kind of dogmatic people. For I mean, there are people who are mad at you if you say anima or anime. Rather than anime, it's no, it's anim, it's anime. No, I mean, I mean, like there. Well, I don't actually get people who say anime, but I mean, like, well, maybe a few hilljacks, but I mean, like, they they get get mad if you're pronouncing it. You know, it's manga, not manga. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but they're really few and far between. I mean, they're not the majority of of fans, especially adult fans. I mean, there definitely are otaku otaku who are very, um, let's say, antisocial is really what the Japanese catchword for it is. Because it means obsession. And uh, there's a really good article from uh, a couple of years back, actually, that just before um, C2E2, um, there was a Wired article by um, Mr. Ratatouille himself. Uh, <laughs> why am I forgetting his name? Ratatouille. Who directed Ratatouille? No, no, the, the, the rat. The, the nerdy guy. The nerdy comedian. You know, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't think you saw Ratatouille once. Mm. It's not my favorite animated cartoon. But it was it was my tie-in because he wrote an article about why Americans need to get rid of the term geek or nerd because essentially we're all nerds on something. Yeah, especially nerds fashion. on sport or film. And that dogma is broken down. But he was also like, hey, d and still our thing, guys. <laughs> Dude, we're still in we're still in basements and everything because he was talking about the shared formative experiences. Oh, Pat Oswalt, that's who I'm thinking. Oh, of. okay. Yeah, he had this great article for Wired. He was the voice of the rat. Yeah, he was the voice of the rat that like blew up his career, man. Really? Yeah. I did not know this. He was the rat in Ratatouille, and he has a whole stand-up about it. It's funny because he's like he talked about how hard it was to go to be rated G and to have like children come up to him and interview him for the show, and he's just like, they have a level of enthusiasm that is infectious. The problem is, I don't like being infected. Hmm. Or I'm I'm making I'm really killing the joke because Pat Oswalt is awesome, and so he he does a much better delivery. But he's talking about like how weird it is to have like enthusiastic kids come up and interview, and he's like, I can't share your level of enthusiasm. Like I want to shit on it, but I can't because it's so nice and you're a child. Brad Bird directed Ratatouille. I should have known Bird that. Bird is awesome. I should have known that. Mm-hmm. The uh, he's done a lot of awesome stuff. Didn't he do The Incredibles as well? 
I believe so. A lot of awesome stuff. At and Dreamworks. then Ghost Protocol. One of the interviews I wish was in here and isn't, and we'll probably get them at a later date. I just couldn't fit them into our time frame. Was um, we talked? I talked to the guy who is there at the birth of Pixar, who turned down the job of writing Toy Story, and, and thus we have there when it went to Joss Whedon, and and history is that. And we talked for a while about it, and it was kind of cool to have that conversation because at first I didn't know it was actually a thing that had happened in his career. Because I was interviewing because he was um, really well known for a lot of other stuff. I mean, heck, the, when I talked to him, he was working with Morgan Freeman on uh, something that may come out maybe in a few years' time called Jet Jungle. Huh. Um, it's a South African superhero. Huh. It's kind of their take on it. And he was kind of like uh, like uh, Animal Man or something. He can kind of communicate with uh, animals or something. Huh. And he has a jet pack, I think. No, he doesn't have a jet. He's just named Jet. He gotcha. should have a jet pack. Gotcha. It'll make it more modern. Hey, Gabe, I'm going to hit the titles. Really? Yeah. This is not a very good intro. That's why I'm hitting the titles. Oh. So we can get into our... Episode. We got a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah, it's Saturday do. morning special cartoon thing. Let's sing the School of Rock song. I don't know the School of Rock song. Oh, hit the space bar. So yeah, I rambled a bit, but we have so much to talk about, and it's a topic that I love. Like I, I, I'm, I'm unabashedly passionate about the subject of animation and why it should be a bigger part of popular culture. I watch cartoons. You do watch cartoons. You like TMNT. TMNT. Yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Turtle Power. Thank you, Gabe. Um, yeah. Well, the new Turtles cartoon is probably the best cartoon on television. I obviously disagree, but that's okay. Well, what is currently on American television that is a cartoon the Legend that's of better? Korra. Well, I've, I've, yeah, I've never watched it or Airbender, so I'm not saying that they're they're no they're for different audiences, and which is weird for Nick because Nick I don't think ever realized like what to do with Avatar because it's like wait this is a cartoon that adults like as much as children and we don't know how to deal with that. Which is the same audience that Turtles. Oh, is. of course, because Turtles like people have grown up. I mean, yeah. They're... Well, it's what I find kind of funny. The generation that grew up on Ninja Turtles currently now has children who are watching Ninja Turtles. That's the deal, man. I mean, that's the the whole thing is that they could do it. I feel like my dad, it was an excuse for him to watch it or like it when I was growing up because he was, I mean, he was a pretty young person. He was a, somebody who would read comics and stuff. So yeah. he could watch it and be like, oh, yeah, I can get away with watching this. I got a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. now, it's, now it's the same thing for us. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I think that's so, well, I think that's so neat that, okay, each generation has had their own Ninja Turtles. So that kind of just works. And the live action ones as well. Well, yeah, but I mean they're at the same time and the same as the uh, original cartoon anyway. So I mean that's still our generation. And then ten years later they had TMNT in two thousand three. What was the first cartoon you remember? First cartoon I remember. Probably Turtles. I like Turtles. Yeah, I do. David likes Turtles. Uh, evidently, my parents took me to see the first movie in the theater, and I shit myself. 
<laughs> what? I've not heard this anecdote. This is um, definitely not a PG-rated uh, cartoon podcast. No. no, it's not. Oops. Oh, well. Mm. Uh, PG-13, then. I'll try to behave myself. I think that's the only S-word we get. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Other than um, I mean, song or... Hey, and it also means I get one F-bomb, too, sir. Oh, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have thrown that out yeah, there. Yeah, PG-13. Well, we have explicit get, on yeah, that thing. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Which, you know what? That kind of... I'm going to only talk about anime kind of briefly because we could make an entire episode about we're anime. We're still talking about turtles. Oh. But, uh, yeah, because I was like one and a half when that movie came out. Oh, you couldn't possibly remember yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't. It was the first time they ever took me to the movie theater, I guess. And I took a dump. Yep. That's, that's all. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like you were five and you threw stuff at the wall. Like, I, I don't know. In the movie theater? Mm -hmm. No. But I did wear out like three copies of that VH VHS. Tape. Oh, yeah. I destroyed all of those VHSs. I know. I, I always like. Overwatching. What people don't know about, or may not know about David, is that David played hockey. Yeah, I did. And I wondered if, like, it was more Ninja Turtles with Casey Jones or if it was more, like, uh, the Mighty Ducks Mighty that made Ducks. you do that. Every kid in the 90s put on a hockey jersey for a little while yeah, and doing that did street hockey stuff. But I actually played ice hockey for Yeah, me. I sucked at it. Like, <laughs> like four years. Nerds and hand-eye coordination, not a thing that is often uh, built it, in together. I, I played sports all the way through, like, up until high school. Yeah, you're an exception, though. I don't... It's, were you the goalie? No. You weren't no, the goalie? no. I was, the, I was actually made a good goalie, in, but that was for soccer, and soccer doesn't count. In hockey, I was a right wing, and then basketball, of course, I was a center. Oh, man, I really wish Andrew were here to make a joke about you being a right wing hockey player. I know, right? I mean, uh, I don't have anything. <laughs> and then uh, uh, football, I was a right tackle. So I, I find this ironic I, if you were left-handed, but you're not. I know, right? Yeah. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it was it was Mighty Ducks that got me to watch or to play hockey. Oh God! And there was a Mighty Ducks cartoon, if I recall. Which at the time I liked. I had action figures for it and everything. And I like how the um, the hockey team was actually a part of it. Wasn't it like their lair? Yeah, it was in Anaheim. Yeah, it was in the. You know, the team's no longer the Mighty Ducks. They're just the Ducks. Well, maybe they're just not as mighty. No copyright reasons with Disney. Disney, like, I feel like Disney should just own it. I mean, they, they own did. ESPN. They, they they did own the Ducks for the longest. Wow. Yeah, something they let go of, I believe. I don't know, I'm not current on hockey. Can you imagine if they bought an NFL team? Like, eventually there will be a Disney NFL type of thing. And they'll just own, like, it'll be the... They'll have to be a new city. It'll be, like, kind of Anaheim. Like, you know, the Anaheim... An Anaheim? Anaheim. Heim. Heim. The Anaheim... The Heimlich Manu I don't know. <laughs> they don't seem... I mean, the ducks are enough. I mean, really. Right. Uh, but yeah, just growing up, I, it was turtles. I had, like, the entire VHS collection, and it would just... I would watch them, like, every other day. It was, it was that... Uh, the Bruce Tim Batman anim the animated series Tiny Toons. I didn't appreciate that and uh, as much as I should have. Although one of the things I, I really appreciated my parents like gave me like a tune introduction. Like they were like, you gotta know the classic stuff. Like I had to watch the Fleischer cartoons. Oh, nice. So, and I loved them. I got those because there's not that much dialogue. Yeah. In those, and they have just this amazing style of their own that you just don't see replicated very often throughout. Uh, I mean, animation. That's for sure. Um, 
I didn't get why we were fighting Japan, but I was a kid. <laughs> and a kid who liked anime. And uh, in the early 90s, I mean, I loved Tiny Toons. I, uh, Tiny Toons was great. Watch it go down to hole. Yeah. Watch it go down to hole. <laughs> uh, that was great. I love that Sega Genesis game. Sega Genesis game was awesome. Yeah, that's the cool thing is that, that that's another thing. Um, we, we're going to talk a lot about with our guests in this episode, the confluence of video games and animation and film and just how the three worlds are really coming with the same creative people and the yeah. same creative teams. Games more than anything. Um, relying on the same the same things, but we we talked with Kenny about about having went to film school, and I mean the reason that he's doing a motion comic or has the ability to do it um, isn't because of anim- necessarily an animation background, but because he had that film background, and yeah. so it translates the storytelling. And I think that's the cool that's the the thing that I, I I like about anime is that in Japan they're just like well animation isn't a genre, it's just a storytelling medium yeah. for them. It isn't like anime is not a genre. I mean, they may have genre tropes necessarily, but see, they can tell any story that they want. They just choose to tell a lot of stories that I just... <laughs> there are a lot of derivative stuff lately, but there's also always those great standout things that make me really defend a genre. See, I've, I've always had a hard time getting into anime. I don't know why. Like, Lip flapping. What? Lip flapping. Maybe. You're just not a fan of the subs, I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. But, I mean... Okay, I, Growing up in the, the 90s, I mean, of course, I fell in love with Dragon Ball Z. Mm. And, I mean, that's one of the the few that I really liked. I got a chance to meet a couple of the voice actors in that yeah. since, and it's been really fun. I had um, the guy who uh, played Chris Sabat, the guy who played Vegeta and played um, Piccolo. Piccolo. Um, I, he was really nice. nice. Um, we, we stopped the dude from harassing him about the over 9,000 thing when we were in line to sign stuff. Nice. I was like, Jesus does Christ, he get man. royalties from that? Oh, I, no. Uh, he true. does not. He has met that guy, though, is my understanding. Gotcha. That guy, he must have just looked at him with utter disdain. <laughs> like, you have no idea what you've done to my life. Like, do he, he pretty much had done to him what Dave Chappelle did to Rick James for the rest <laughs> of his life. Like, you would That's be awesome. that guy. Because when he talks, you can tell he's freaking Piccolo. Yeah. His voice is just Piccolo. Oh, wow. That's nice. It's got this deep, sonorous, like, South Texas. He's from, he's lived in Texas now, so I'm doing my best Chris Sabat accent. It's, it's, it's comedic, but it's not very good. <laughs> That's funny. Just add, like, five uh, octaves below this. Well, it's just kind of like Rob Paulson. He, he sounds the exact same in everything he does, almost. Like, you listen to any of his characters, and you're like, That's Rob Paulson. Like, you can go from... Well, Donatello and the current Turtles, mm-hmm. Raphael and the original cartoon to Animaniacs. You're like, that's, a, that's the same guy. Did they also have Joe DiMaggio in the cast for somewhere for Turtles? Uh, not that I know of. Or no, not right? DiMaggio. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, um, I do know that they have the guy who plays Beast Boy. As a weird, he's a weird Michael looking Angela. dude. He's a weird looking dude. I, I, how? He's so tiny. He's a vegan. Yeah. So he was a really good fit to play Beast Boy. He was awesome. He is awesome, and he's but he's so tiny. He signed my press badge last year. Did you? You met him? Yeah. He seems like a cool. He has a punk band, is my or no a ska band? You would not think of a ninja. Well, he's a ninja turtle with a ska band. Most mellow dude I've ever met. I and he looks that. I mean, like I guess when you're a vegan ninja turtle beast <laughs> boy, you have to be mellow. Speaking of beast boy, I can't stand Teen Titans Go. Yeah, but yeah, it's because it's replacing something that would had a bigger place in your heart. But it's also something that I really liked before. 
I liked the mix of seriousness and humor. I don't think they needed to just replace it with total humor. Yeah, because the previous Teen Titans cartoon was a fun cartoon. It was. Yeah. It, we didn't have anything like it at the time, and it was. It was is good. It, for is it in it Bruce Tim's universe? No, no. So it's like pretty much the only thing that, other than like the Earth One stories, that is not in the universe. Wait, what are you talking about? I'm talking about like the the director DVD stuff, like because the cartoon oh, yeah. universe is its own thing in DC. Yeah, and well, he's been able to like just show run everything, which is kind of cool. He's left Warner Animation. Mm. Um. See, the Bruce Tim verse was Batman the animated series, Batman Beyond, Superman, and the Justice League, and then there are tie-in movies to those. But most of the direct-to-DVD stuff that they're doing now has no relation to it. Mm. I mean, they could or couldn't be part of it because they tend to use their their voice cast. I kind of want to change things up a bit and talk about because we were talking about all these these things that we were watching when we were growing up. And then cartoons kind of found a home on cable. And that's where the bulk of our interviews this week have a place uh, with the Cartoon Network. Yeah. Um, so do you mind if I, do you think they'll mind if I tell them who we have got in our lineup here? Well, we can just do it one by one. But, um, but essentially, yeah, there are three, two of our interviews have ties in big tie-ins to big Cartoon Network properties. And, um, just kind of talk about like, do you remember all the, the good stuff, the early stuff like, um, Birdman? Yeah. Attorney, well, I mean, not eventually Birdman Attorney at Love, but Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, yeah. and Toonami, and um, I Am Weasel, <laughs> and Ayor Baboon, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Laboratory. Cow and Chicken. Cow and Chicken. Powerpuff Girls. Powerpuff Girls, obviously. And, and Samurai um, Jack. Samurai, well, I think that's probably a good segue, isn't and it? And Courage the Cowardly Dog, which I still holds up really well. I've been watching it on Netflix, and Do you know it has awesome. an Oscar? It doesn't? That is an Oscar-nominated thing because it had a uh, Oscar short. Do you remember in the early well mid 90s that uh, Cartoon Network actually had a cartoon short show? Yes. Like uh, where they would do experimental things that's where Courage the Cowardly Dog came it from. It came from, yeah. And that actually like I said that short ended up I believe in theaters. I believe it's an Oscar nominated short if not an Emmy nominated short. Oh wow. Because uh like, I was started watching it again, and I just wikipedia it. I was like, Courage Cowardly Dog. I think, if I'm not mistaken, like, Family oh, yeah. Guy, like, the original uh, an original Family Guy segment was in there. Some of, like, the or the birth of some of those characters oh, really? are in there as well. Huh. They, they've done all sorts of different experimental things. Experimental animation is some of my most favorite stuff. Yeah. Like, we, I had the chance to talk to um, some of my real heroes. Like, I remember um, when I was a kid, my dad would take me big animation junkie, took me to see the Oscar shorts pretty much every year. Yeah. Um, but he also took me to see um, Spike and Mike's animated uh, things. And it was just so great because essentially it's like like having a Sammy Terry or a um, uh, an Elvira have uh, kind of like a host, host uh, a cartoon yeah. show. And it was, it was great to have that cartoon anthology and to have it in theaters because as an animator, you can imagine in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, that was the goal. It was not necessarily TV. It's like means something to see your stuff on the screen, especially as an animator, to see that breathe the life. And so it was such a cool thing to go. And um, I got to talk to the people who are kind of the spiritual successor to that. I've talked to both um, Mike Judge, of course, who we know from Beavis and Butthead and so many great things. But he had, um, um, there was, I think it was like Acid Wash Cartoons or something. I can't remember the name on MTV. And it's back. Um, it's, it's back. Is it back? It's back. 
Well, they unfortunately, Beavis and Butthead only lasted a, um, a year. But when I talked yeah. to him at New York Comic Con, he had said essentially, yeah, I want to see that back. Because that was my question was, yeah. what was it like to be at that birth of all this experimental stuff? And would you like to see a return to that at MTV to kind of produce that kind of content? So to see that come back is awesome. But he hosted for years with um, the guy. I'm going to throw this phrase out here. Um, you may have heard, my anus is bleeding for the love of all that's holy. My anus is bleeding or my spoon is too big. <laughs> if you've heard those things, then then you know um, Don Hertzfeld as well. And you, he you and my that way too well. I really like those animated shorts and also got a chance to to hang out with don well shouldn't we get into our interview yeah but now i, I totally hyped an interview that happened two years ago so i apologize that we can't let them listen to so i just teased something that it, but i had a point i was just saying that all that experimental stuff had had a real great fruition in the 90s and it's something i really wish with the internet age that we were able to capitalize on and, and produce in a big way and well it's youtube Go it, to YouTube and you can find all kinds of experimental. You can, you can. It's, you can reach far more people, but it's in such a less intimate way, yeah. and it's in and it's in a way that I lament because you need the curator, you need the person who directs your attention and focus to the right places because the internet is such a big, bright, distracting place, and yeah. especially with animation, there's so much independent animation that's out there. In fact, we have an independent animator who's going to be one of our interviews today, and uh, a good friend of uh, a mutual friend of mine and David's here, but. It's something where if you have that that person who's helping to guide viewers to you and to, to really know where that talent is going to be nurtured, that's something that's important. We, we don't necessarily have that as much anymore, even though we have a network devoted to animation, which is something that generations before us certainly didn't have. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a serious thing. <laughs> now we should just do a segue. I mean, yes. we're going to do a straight segue because we have really good interviews, and they really do kind of almost introduce themselves. So and, uh, I guess first up would be, since we were talking about Cartoon Network and Samurai gonna, Jack. Yeah, we're going to start off with um, a little blast of the past. And, uh, I can't sing it. I wish I could sing the intro to Samurai Jack. <laughs> but they're continuing the adventures of uh, of Jack. Essentially, Jack season uh, four, I believe it would yeah. be, or season five. Um, they're continuing it in comic book form, and issue one will be out in November. So and, check your local comic book stores for that. And all I will say about this, um, this wonderful guest, uh, Mr. Jim Zub, is that you will all kneel before him. Perfect. Um, if you don't mind, um, first I just want to say thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate um, just taking a, a second here to get everything uh, oriented. But first, again, we just wanted to say thank you for, for coming on Kind of Epic Show. Um, essentially, we, we wanted to, uh, well, sorry that we missed you at Gen Con. <laughs> we were quite happy to. But yeah, we wanted to um, to kind of talk about um, the experience. I know you have a, a number of conventions that, that you're going to be at, uh, and so kind of promote those appearances since we should uh, have this up fairly shortly here within the next um, two weeks, I believe is the time frame for us, and then possibly written stuff um, before then. And um, we also wanted to talk about all your, your different projects there. Like I said, Skull Kickers. Um, we have, um, I'm trying to remember, the, the Kickstarter project that you had completed and, uh, and you're working on. Uh, I'm doing a short story for Exalted, um, uh, a one-shot comic with Exalted. I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm doing the Pathfinder series, obviously. And then uh, I'm doing Samurai Jack in October, so. Precisely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you don't mind, just going to do a quick throw to you here to, to start off the, the interview and, and get rolling. Sounds great. 
Perfect. Um, well, again, we are here uh, before uh, Jim uh, Zub, Zub. Do you mind if I if I call you Mr. Zub? Would that be would that be appropriate? <laughs> all kneel all kneel before Zub. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I, you've actually given us the subtitle for the episode. I'm not even going to lie. I'm just, <laughs> it, had our, it had our nerdy, nerdy, nerdy tendencies where we're uh, unfortunately able to get away from us on this one. But uh, yeah, we're very happy to to have uh, Jim's up here on the show um, this week. Um, Jim is um, one of the guys at uh, Udon, uh, which is uh, one of the um, uh, one of the uh, few, uh, relatively few uh, manga publishers out there, and does a lot of great stuff with uh, with fighting game and game tie-ins as well. And uh, he is also uh, a comic book author and an artist, and uh, is here to to talk to us uh, about uh, Samurai Jack, Skull Kickers, and uh, some other really awesome projects that, that you had uh, in the wings. So, uh, really, without further ado, I just want to want to throw it to you and kind of kind of have you uh, get a chance to, to kind of introduce yourself to the fans here and kind of explain uh, what it is that uh, you were promoting uh, at Gen Con last week. Sure, no problem. So, um, I I've got a big. Uh, sort of thing for sword and sorcery and fantasy, and so that's been my my kind of headspace for the last few years. Uh, I've got a creator-owned series I'm doing at Image Comics called Skull Kickers, which uh, if I had to sum it all up, is kind of like The Hobbit meets The Hangover. So uh, <laughs> two mercenary monster hunters get themselves in deep trouble and they have to kill their way out. Uh, it's in the vein of like Army of Darkness or Big Trouble in Little China, that kind of over-the-top um, action comedy kind of stuff, and then. On a more classic kind of sword and sorcery bent, I'm uh, writing the comic series of Pathfinder based on the award-winning role-playing game, which I'm having a lot of fun doing uh, with in partnership with Paizo and Dynamite Entertainment. And uh, coming in the fall, uh, I'm writing Samurai Jack, which is a continuation of the of the cartoon series, sort of like the the fifth season of the show if it was done in comic book form, which I'm doing with Cartoon Network and IDW. And uh, I think there's, a, there's a, like you said, a lot to cover. <laughs> we have a lot yeah, of good stuff to, to talk about because... So that, other, other projects in the wings, but those are the three big ones that I'm working on right now. And it's it's kind of relevant to our fans' interests. <laughs> it's why we had you on the show. But, well, but yeah, I'm more than happy to talk about it. That's for sure. Well, can we can we start? I mean, with um, with kind of the crowd at Gen Con. I mean, I, we don't we often interact with um, with people who who write for the the worlds uh, of gaming. And um, when we do, it's always kind of fascinating to find out what it's like to to see people cosplaying as their characters, as the people that they've designed. And Lord knows, you, we've got so many photos on our website already uh, of people who were who were dressed up there at the convention. What is it like for you as somebody who has to kind of make something canon in in, in that world of a role playing game? Um, um, see people bring that passion to it. I mean, you know, the Paizo guys have such a huge brand at Gen Con. I mean, they're sort of the you know the fantasy game right now, and the uh, the iconic characters. Um, are, are the ones I'm writing for the comic series, and so it's extremely gratifying to see people excited about it and to see people dressing up or, you know, just just enthusiastic about the stories we're putting together or the material that you know that's been built. It really is um, surreal at times when you're there at the show and people, you know, are so passionate about the stuff that you're involved with. And then I also wanted to know. Um, so you were you were there for um, for that with Paizo as well. And then I think um, Skull Kickers, for um, me, fairly recently. Um, you talked about the humorous element. There was also up for um, for a Harvey Award as well. Yeah, yeah. The Harveys are. Um, I guess by the time this airs, 
Baltimore Comic Con maybe just around the corner or may have just happened. So we're up for a Harvey Award for uh, for humor and really excited about that. Um, Skull Kickers has been running since late 2010. We're really excited about uh, the Harvey nomination, and I've never done Baltimore Comic Con before, so I'm really quite pumped to see how that show's going to go as well. The, the issue there, of course, is that um, I, I'm told that The Wire was actually a documentary, so you do not want to anger any of your fans at Baltimore Comic-Con. You know, so many people stuff, stuff will go down. Go to Baltimore, they always say that. They're always like, hmm, be careful, you know, but I don't know. Every, most most of the comic conventions I go to, people are wonderful. <laughs> from, so no. I think, um, you know, the, the, the fanboys and fangirls are, are packing in general. Is it the first time you've been out there? Because um, working for Udon, I imagine that you're going to have a, a lot of interaction with some of, I mean, what is essentially the biggest anime convention in uh, in America, with, with or at least anime dedicated, I think Otacon, or at least the second or, or third biggest there. Yeah, is it, I've been to Otacon before, and, uh, but it's been several years since I've been there, so um, at least three or four years and since Udon set up at the show there, so it's, it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, the Street Fighter faithful tend to come out of the woodwork. I've, I've done some writing on the Street Fighter comics, and uh, the Udon studio has done quite a bit of artwork for the games as of late, and so it is awesome to, to meet Street Fighter fans there as well. You know, I, I uh, yeah, I kind of balance a bunch of different uh, nerdy influences, so whether it's the video game stuff or the anime stuff or the role-playing game stuff or the comic stuff, I'm, I'm kind of steeped in it. One of the things I wanted to, to ask you, and I'm glad that we kind of had that segue there into into your work at Udon and, and kind of leading into to talking about Samurai Jack, is uh, I wonder how much uh, of that influence or of the influence because Samurai Jack the show, I mean, it's very much visually kind of like seeing a Sumei or an ukiyo-e painting come to life. The the very um, um, the very unique either Chinese or, or Japanese ink painting style, and I wonder, I mean, how much of that is, is an influence in your art, and and how much of it is also kind of the anime influence. That, that goes into into that. I mean, how much uh, of working at Udon or, or being in that that world kind of prepared you for for doing uh, something like Samurai Jack? Well, even before I started working at Udon, my background was in animation, so I actually worked in in television animation for a little while. So I've got that kind of background to to call upon. But I mean, comics are quite a bit different than animation. There's obviously a lot of similar you know visual components you can draw upon, but. But comics have their own strengths and weaknesses as well. And so working on Samurai Jack is is awesome. And I obviously I've been rewatching the show and I've been you know, sort of taking notes in terms of things that we can do or ways that we can approach it. But there's also unique things about the comic page that I think we're gonna be able to to utilize as well. So I don't wanna close us off from that or, or feel like, you know, that the influences are sort of overwhelming our new ideas as well. And so one of the great things about a show like Samurai Jack is that they are always pushing forward. They were always trying new things, visual things, new story stuff, new uh, landscapes, new characters, new villains. And so with the comic series, we're sort of going in with that same idea as well. Uh, I'm, I'm the writer on that series. I'm not actually drawing it. Andy Soriano, who's one of the character designers mm -hmm. back on the show, is drawing the series. And he's doing just a phenomenal job at bringing those strengths from the cartoon, you know, into the comic. As a as a creator on that show, are you are you able to work with some of the? I mean, you mentioned our, obviously the one of the other people on your creative team is is from the original Samurai Jack team as well. Um, mm -hmm. Do you do you have any interaction with with some of the other creators like Gendy Tartofsky or, or some of the other folks at Cartoon Network? 
Well, I heard this is going through Cartoon Network. Because this is an official continuation of the series, obviously they have to sign off on it. <laughs> and Gendy Tartakovsky is really busy with stuff, but he's still, he's actually doing alt covers for the series. Wow. So he's involved, you know, a little bit more peripherally, but he's definitely involved. And, you know, Andy's been in touch with him and told him what we're up to as well. So it's all kind of related. It's not like I'm having, you know, weekly conversations with him or but it is all going through uh you know the approval process and everyone involved at cartoon network and idw and has been really supportive and excited about you know the the stuff that we're throwing into the mix i'm curious as well um this is kind of uh, on the nerdier spectrum <laughs> of our questions here I, had a jo- I don't know if this is a joking reference or what. i had somebody say at one point that uh that Samurai Jack exists in, in Canada with the Powerpuff Girls, and Aku, actually, uh, the girls just failed to save the day one day, and Aku takes over. Nice. That's what happens. Um, I can't really speak to anyone <laughs> on the official front one way or another, but um, I got both villains are amazing, Mojo, Jojo, and Aku. They definitely need to team up. I actually made a joke about that in San Diego. Uh, I was on the IDW Kids Conference. I can the, the children's eyes would bulge questions. like out of their head and at I that had point. The last question of the panel, I said, "When do we get to team up the two, you know, properties?" And the crowd kind of went bonkers. So um, I'm not saying that's definitely happening, but I would be totally cool with uh, with having a crossover at some point. What would, what would happen if if you threw Element X at at Jack? Like, what would happen? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Chop that down. No, just <laughs> the great thing about these worlds and these really open concepts is you can you can really play with them. I mean, Samurai Jack is like a genre melting pot, right? There's so many different elements there. There's you know fantasy elements and there's sci-fi elements and there's mythic elements, and they all just kind of come together in this really cool, appealing package. I'm kind of thinking back, because I, I, just in preparation for the interview, I wish there was so much more of it on Netflix, because they only have the first season, and it's so disappointing because it's such a visually arresting show, and then you're like, oh, standard death, and then uh, when, you have to, when you have to stream it. But even so, I watched the, um, the pilot again, and you see kind of sword and sorcery elements, even in the, the pilot, with, uh, with him kind of in Sherwood Forest-type locales and, and other medieval locales. And they get to fourth season, they're doing really wild stuff. Like, you can see that creative team getting confidence as they go. With each season, they seem to get a little bit more ambitious or a little bit wilder in terms of the, mm. the types of opponents they put Jack up against or the types of locales that they put him in. And that empowered me. As I rewatched them all, I was thinking, okay, the chains are off. I can do all sorts of crazy cool stuff here because they've already taken it, you know, this far. And so that, that really, you know, opened up my kind of creative brain on it. And now, uh, as I'm moving forward, even some of the basic story ideas that we had, I feel like I can push even further. And how much of how much of the influence is coming from the fact? I mean, you don't get a Harvey Award nomination if you're bad at, uh, at doing uh, humor in comic books. So, I mean, how much how much of the humor humorous elements um, are, are kind of the draw of what of what attracted you to to be a writer on the project? I think that it, it, what's great about Samurai Jack is that it balances all sorts of different things. So it has humor, you know, at its core, but it's not always a comedy. Sometimes it's quite a genre, like a, like a drama. You know, if anything, it's like um, Akira Kurosawa meets Hanna Barbera. Like it's this very <laughs> weird, divergent set of influences coming into it, and it never takes itself too seriously. But it's also got at its core this stoic straight man of a hero, you know, that he's 
unyielding, you know, and, and heroic and true to himself. And I like that a lot. And I think that that's what makes that, although there's some slapstick and although there's goofy stuff at times, the core of the thing is really, really strong as a narrative and really strong emotionally. And so it all kind of hangs together. And even when it's fun, it doesn't, it doesn't lose the, you know, the strength of that storytelling. I'm very glad to, to hear that. Um, that it's kind of that balance as well, because I don't think as, as a fan people want one thing or the other. They want a good balance, and that's that's good to hear. Um, uh, essentially, um, I'm going to ask an unfair question here, <laughs> because I'm, I'm going back to your work at Udon here. Do you have a fighting uh, a favorite uh, fighting game franchise that if uh, if you uh, if uh, that you've worked on? Because uh, of course, it isn't just uh, necessarily Street Fighter at, at Udon. As corny as it is, it is my favorite. It really is the number one game for me in terms of fighting games. When I was growing up, uh, and you know, Street Fighter dominated the arcades. You know, there's a very good reason for that. Those characters are really iconic. The moves are iconic. The characters had just tons of personality, and everything from the design of them, the silhouette, and the colors of the costumes and the, you know, the nationalities of the characters. There was so much for you to attach to. You could get behind them because you liked the way they play, because of the way they looked, because of the country they were from. Uh, you know, Street Fighter just had so much appeal. And uh, there's a reason why it's been, you know, pretty much the number one fighting game franchise for for its duration, um, you know, and, and it survived so many different iterations. I quite like, um, gameplay-wise, like I really like Street Fighter Three. I think it's got a, a wonderful balance of beautiful 2D animation with great gameplay, you know. But, mm -hmm. um, but I do like all the games. I like the Alpha series. I like the Versus series, all the stuff. And then I wanted to talk a, a little bit more about some of the other things that you're working on. Um, if you wouldn't sure. mind um, telling folks about uh, some of the Kickstarter campaigns that, that you were a part of and, uh, and where we can uh, expect to see some of the content. Sure, no problem. So <clears throat> the first... Well, I guess one of the first um, kind of comic writing gigs that I did as a freelancer was I wrote a, a five-issue miniseries for Udon based on the Exalted RPG, which mm -hmm. is a popular tabletop role-playing game. And um, recently, a company called Onyx Path got the rights to do Exalted again, and they're doing a new third edition. And so they announced that they were going to do this. I think they met their funding in under an hour. It was <laughs> truly insane. And so as I was talking to the guys in charge and wishing them well, they were talking about possible stretch goals. They asked me if I might be interested in coming back and doing a, a one-shot comic as a as a reward level, and I said that would be great because I love the game and I love the franchise and, and love being involved with it. And so I'm going to be writing a, a one-shot comic special for them. Um, what else? There's um, another Kickstarter that was running for a game called Cobalt's Ate My Baby, which is this ridiculous. <laughs> introductory role-playing game. It's very comedic and very ridiculous and, and over-the-top. And you play the little cobalt monsters whose roles include things like stealing from villagers and eating their babies. And it's just goofy, fun. And the artwork's by John Kovalik, the guy that does Munchkin and also does um, Apples to Apples. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big fan of his stuff. I really like the game. I've run it for groups of people who have never played role-playing games before. And it's been a great sort of introduction to, to gaming. And so when I saw that they were doing a new version of it via Kickstarter, I dropped them a line and just said, hey, that's really cool. Um, I'd love to contribute. And they got back to me, geez, really fast and just said, 
you know, we'd be happy to have you on board. So I'm going to be developing not, not a ton of material, but just a little sort of subsection of the new manual that's all around cobalt magic and uh, all the ways that cobalts don't understand how magic works and how it blows up in their face. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. So, I mean, uh, I guess I have a kind of a general question here about, about kind of uh, kind of a breadth of experience here in terms of, of comics. You're doing everything from totally independent stuff via Kickstarter that's, I mean, less comics-related and more, I mean, related to, to role-playing, but then you also have experience um, being kind of within the company at, at Udon or, or being creator-owned properties at, at Image or at... Um, uh, and at IDW working on, on something that's a franchise. I mean, yeah. what, what kind of advice, I mean, and also being a, being a teacher yourself, so, so what kind of advice do you have for, um, for people who are just kind of wanting to, to get started, maybe wanting to do something independently via Kickstarter, or just kind of deciding um, how they want to get started in comics in general? Well, it's funny, I get asked about this sort of stuff a lot. So on my blog, I've got a website, jimzub.com, very straightforward, J-I-M-Z-U-B.com, and it's got um, a, a bunch of tutorials and advice on there in terms of how to break in or how I go about my writing process or it, things that I think you might take for granted after a while, like you know how to, how to be professional or how to schedule your time or things like that. It is really about you know, putting out work that you're proud of or putting out work that you feel exemplifies, you know, your values. And then if people like it and if it's good and if it, you can get it out to a wider audience, which is easier than ever now that you've got the Internet in, at your disposal, um, you know, then you'll start to get approached to do similar things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wrote an action comedy fantasy series and then I get approached about other fantasy stuff. I love sword and sorcery. I love that genre. And so it all kind of fits in with the kind of work I want to do. You know, rather than me sitting around and trying to figure out, man, if only I could take these popular things, you know, I'll make Pokemon meets Walking Dead by way of Harry Potter. You know, Get on that right now. I'm stuck. <laughs> culture thing. What's more important is making something that, that speaks to you, something that, that you would like as a reader or that you would enjoy, you know, to... to to experience, and then hopefully people will enjoy that on the same level, that they will enjoy it and enjoy your work because it exemplifies the things that you like in your entertainment. I, I wanted to stop you there because I really would enjoy as a reader of Pokemon slash Walking Dead hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, gosh, I, I just, I gotta say thank you so much for, for your time there, obviously, and if, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, that was kind of the other thing that, that you're doing here is, um, so you, you work uh, as, as a teacher as well in terms of um, the animation department um, uh, and uh, up in, um, can I, excuse me, for, what is, what is the university? No problem, it's uh, Seneca College in Toronto, so I work in their animation department as an instructor. I've been there since... Jeez, 2004, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So and I've taught courses in animation, animation history, in character design, in um, digital painting, and in environmental drawing. So it just depends on the semester and what's required. Uh, I really, really enjoy it. And teaching is a, it, it's a great way to sort of remind yourself of, you know, the types of things that you need to know. You know, like every year I'm teaching students about, you know, proper processes or I'm reminding them about, you know, what they should do in order to get their, their work going. And it recharges me as well as I see their skills grow and I see their confidence grow. It, it really re-energizes me to put more into my own work. 
Well, I'm glad to hear. And I guess the, the second follow-up here, as somebody who is living in Canada and is a comic book author, just wanted to comment on the fact that Canada seems more awesome in comics. I'm just saying. <laughs> they they, they seem to do rather well in comics. Does that make us seem like we're, we're this kooky country where anything can happen? Or? Uh, no, it's, it's like it makes it seem like you have you have the Alpha Flight or whatever. You have, like, Weapon X program. We were discussing in our last episode the potential for a Canadian invasion as we, we interviewed at Gen Con one of the... Uh, the, the people who do a War of eighteen twelve video or role playing game were like, yeah, the, the according to the Marvel universe, that that invasion is impending. That's that's the whole purpose of all you all you Canadian superheroes. It's funny, the, the Canadian comic book, even the, the creators, the really strong community up here, and um, a lot of us hang out with each other and support each other. It's really cool. It's, it's nice there is to be a plot. creative. I'm just, I was just pointing out to our listeners that that was proof of, uh, of the plot, <laughs> the, the coming Canadian comic book invasion. That's right. Jeff Lemire is our, is our leader, and he's leading the charge. And uh, it's going to be sort of like a hockey formation, and we're just going to body check everyone out of the way. It's going to be good. Then presu- presumably you'll have, have a katana just because you're, you're riding on Samurai Jack at this point. Yeah, sure. You know, it's the cultural melting pot that is Canada. I'm sure I could have a katana. That'd be uh, well, I guess I, I gotta say thank you so much for for your time and in, indulging me on on this one point. I do it because my last name is Canada as well, and so I want there to be an impending Canadian invasion, so there will be less mockery. My name is Jim Zub. I'm the uh, writer and creator of Skull Kickers and Image Comics, and the upcoming writer of Samurai Jack from IDW. And you are listening to Kind of Epic Show. Kneel before Zub. Yes. <laughs> How's that? That was pretty good, actually. Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for the the Justice League. Okay. You know, it was he talks a lot about Canada. I like Canada. Who? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You forgot about it. You just listened to it. You got a short memory span, David. Uh, well. We had a slight pause. Well, yeah. We had a bowel movement. <laughs> Not something you see in cartoons. Very, no, very fortunately. No, no, Gabe, is this is this appropriate for our cartoon episode? Our cartoon episode has been wholly inappropriate. That's the only kind of kind of epic cartoon episode we were ever going to get, so I'm okay with it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But I think it's still an awesome episode, because our guests are going to elevate us this week. We really don't even need to worry about our banter. Right. Uh, that's why it's been so subpar. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to raise on the the the, uh, the interviews this week. Right. Um, anyways, that was Jim Zub. All kneel before the Zub. That's our thing. We made that. Make it a reality now. Yes. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys are fans of Samurai Jack. I myself have not visited it since it was on TV. It's harder to do because it's only had the first season of Netflix uh, yeah. available. I mean, there are some DVD copies, but it's not the same. Right. You want to? You definitely do want to watch it on DVD if you can, or watch it in HD, which is not available in at the moment. On Netflix, it's not in HD. It's not. It's in standard def, and there's such beautiful things I yeah. talked about in the interview, and like kind of a little bit weepy about it and he's just like yeah yeah watch more of the third and fourth season or the, the later stuff yeah that's I, too I, bad i keep throwing out the wrong season numbers but that's okay yeah if they're true fans of the show they'll know they'll know they'll remember how many seasons there are yeah and then they'll be like oh god damn those guys are idiots yeah but we're idiots you get to talk to important people yeah <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> so true rub it in their face yes. a little bit Anyways, uh, the next guest is a 
good friend of mine. Um, went to film school with him. When we go to New York, we were staying with him and Chris, which you'll know from the, the show. And uh, he's in the middle of a Indiegogo project, which sounds awesome. And the guy's been through a, a rough time recently. And uh, he's got a project here that sounds fantastic. And it is a cursed, a tale of woe and something or else. And it's already fully voice cast. Um, by people that you may even recognize. Uh, Chris and Rich are both voices in it. What? Yeah. I was unaware of that fact. Oh, were you? I was not aware of that fact. Yeah, they both did voice recordings for it, and two are two of the voices in it. Um, so I'm not going to waste any time getting to it. I'll just let Kenny, Mr. Kenny Broadway, yes, that's his actual name, and... I'll just let him talk. Are, are, you, are you giving your regards to your friend, Mr. Broadway? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to let him talk. He'll do a better job explaining it than I could. Because that's why he's on the show. Because it's a great project that anyone who likes comic books or motion comics or cartoons should, or animation in general, would enjoy. I obviously agree with you. Forgive me, Kenny, for my uh, shameless, horrible pun on your name there. That's the only one I will make and did not make throughout the entire interview. What? Hmm? You didn't even notice? I didn't even notice. Oh, well, it flew over your head. That's sad. Oh. On to the interview. Sad day. <laughs> sad day. His, na his name is Broadway. I made a Broadway joke. What did you say? I said, give you, you're giving your friend, you're giving your regards to your friend, Mr. Broadway. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I get it. I should have said, like, you. he lives in Herald Square or something, but it wouldn't have... Or Harold and Kumar. I don't know. There would have been a, a follow-up joke of some kind. It's a bad pun. Okay. Let's get back to the interview, mercifully. Which, that never happens on our show. Things never go wrong at all, especially with guests who are calling in via the phone. Um so yes, yes, that was a lie. Anyway, um, that was a longer introduction. I was trying to sound sincere. It failed. But anyway, uh, we have a guest with us, as is uh, as is appropriate. We have a guest uh, from actually uh, the alma mater of uh, of one David West. Yeah, he's also from uh, from a full sale grad uh, that we have on the show here. Uh, one Kenny Broadway. And I will let you introduce yourself, Kenny. Why? Why are you here? Why? Tell tell the the beautiful folks out there in the interwebs uh, why uh, a uh, fellow uh, face uh, fellow uh, full cell alum has uh, has graced us on our podcast here. Uh, well, I guess I'm here to promote and let people know about my latest action project, which is a motion comic called Accursed. Now, why is it a cursed? Why is it called a cursed? It is called a cursed because it is a story about the most miserable place on earth. <laughs> is that New Jersey? I was going to say full sale. <laughs> oh, David! David chimed in. He thinks the most miserable place on earth is actually full sale. <laughs> yeah, a lot of inspiration came from full sale, definitely. <laughs> now, uh, it, it's the most miserable place on earth. It doesn't actually exist because everyone in the city. Is uh, is cursed, and they're cursed. So it is it is a place where all the cursed people of the world have congregated to live out their lives in a safe environment around peers who are also cursed. 
And it is a fully uh, fully voiced uh, motion comic, so you've already reported all of the um, all of the actors uh, who are participating, and you've got um, at least it looks like the first six episodes kind of planned out and written. So kind of like a full season that we have ahead if this Indiegogo is successful. So uh, can you tell us how how important is the um, the art in this element, and why why did you choose to go with a motion comic uh, rather than kind of like a full blown animation, or um, rather than than just a traditional comic? Book. Well, I can tell you why I decided to go with motion comic, uh, because, well, that was actually a lot of questions, so, <laughs> um, I decided to go with a motion comic because I wanted to put my phone to video use, for one, um, and another reason would be, uh, there was just something about the story that... I just couldn't get across uh, in a typical way. Like, I, I originally read this as a novella, and it was actually the most visually descriptive thing I'd ever written, and a lot of people read it and told me that it should be a comic book, and I wanted to do something a little bit different because I had this film degree that was just going to waste, and we had learned how to use After Effects at Film Sale, and when I found out that After Effects was the primary program used to create motion comics, I was like, this is what I want to do. And uh, I also had this base, this network of people, uh, actors and artists and sound designers and composers, and I just wanted to get them all together to work on something together. And uh, this just seemed like a really good opportunity to do that. And I think one of the interesting things about that, I mean, it's hard to, to disagree with anything that you said, because when you have um, a pool of talent together and you have a project that you're passionate about, you're like, oh, well, there's literally nothing stopping me from doing this, I suppose, <laughs> which is a, a wonderful thing about the, the time that we live in and uh, a lot of the projects that we've actually talked about on the show in terms of either Indiegogo or Kickstarter or people who are just like, or um. Black Dynamite even, we talked to that guy, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of did, um, Michael J. White kind of did that on 500 bucks in stolen footage of a car exploding. So <laughs> anything is kind of possible, and that's part of why we are really happy to be promoting um, your your uh, Indiegogo um, project on this. I mean, you're already a quarter of the way funded, and we've got, uh, by the time this airs, we should have um, a good 20 days left, so a good half a month, uh, or a quarter, three quarters of a, two quarters of a month. I'm bad at math. <laughs> we have a sizable amount of a month left, uh, to raise the the rest of the funding, so uh, can you tell tell uh, tell the audience what they will be funding? I mean, what will um, what will this funding make possible in terms of, of making this a reality? Besides everything, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, this is a collaborative process, which is what I love about it. And what I love about film, um, when you write something, you know, you do it all by yourself. But uh, a film project brings in a lot of different people, so. As I've already mentioned, I have sound designers, I have a composer, I have an artist, and uh, I want to compensate them as much as possible. So definitely the contributions will be going towards that. Um, and then there, there are also all things like uh, fees and, you know, recording studio time and, uh, well, Indiegogo itself charges fees, and therefore it's, so there's a lot of take care of as well and just you know bookkeeping matters and uh all kinds of things 
Really? You have one of the more interesting approaches on an Indiegogo page that I've ever seen, or in a Kickstarter for that matter, in that people are actually um, paying you money to have you write bad things about them, or write bad things to happen to them. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have a somewhat negative personality, as uh, David may or may not remember. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, I I guess kind of for some context, do you mind uh, telling people about what the, the actual incentives are and how they can become a, uh, a citizen of Mortu's Law by uh, contributing to the project? I absolutely would love to do that. Um, actually, uh, and another thing that I say on the uh, Indiegogo page is that um, one of the things that I really enjoy about entertainment, web-based entertainment, is that viewers can participate with their entertainment. I mean you're able to leave comments, and you're even able to guide the story. And that is what I want from people who watch this. I want people to be involved. And uh, so that's how I designed my perks. I want people to give me feedback. What kind of curses would you expect people to have in Walter as well? And so, you know, for a certain amount of donation, you can be listed on the town manifest as a citizen, and I'll assign you a curse. Or you can choose your own curse. Um, most recently, we added a perk where you can design your own background, background character. You can tell us uh, a short bio or description of somebody you would expect to find in this village, and our artist will bring them to life. And, uh, and also, for a certain amount of money, you can have yourself drawn into the comic. And I think one of my favorite perks is the fact that we, uh, Kind of Epic, is now an associate producer. <laughs> so we have a vested interest in you being successful. So, so all of our all of our internet minions must now support you by virtue of by virtue of our involvement. Um, yeah, and anybody can be uh, an associate producer as well. Um, like I said, I want. Well, now you're making us feel less special, Kenny. Don't do that. <laughs> Or do that. We actually want it to be successful. Go back to your shameless self-promotion, sir. That was what I was interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, uh, I'm not sure you said that, so let's just move on. <laughs> and now we really are in a kind of epic episode. So um, uh, essentially just wanting to, um, to, to say, I mean, talk about animation for a bit, because this is kind of a special um, for us. Well, not kind of a special. It is a special. It is in our animation special, which will probably have a clever name that David or I will think up, but we don't know what it is yet. It wouldn't be like a full special. It would be kind of a special. We we got a couple of kind of specials coming, but that doesn't sound as good as I thought it would coming out of my mouth. So we'll think of a, another way of saying it. <laughs> but anyway, find another way to say that, Gabe. Yeah, Dave, David is 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 grinning because he's like, yeah, nothing you said sounded good at that moment, and it sounded really inappropriate. But um, but yes, onto onto again the promotion and the things that we are talking about in terms of animation. Um, when you when you went to Fulsa, when you went to to film school, I mean, was animation something that w was on your mind? Um, and can you talk a little bit about uh, any of the animation or any of the I mean you mentioned learning after effects and some of the the programs that are that are out there to assist um, creators of not just motion comics but I mean with practical or visual effects out there as well just kind of talk about the practical value of of an education at full cell and 
and well, I mean, David is great because he's like, there's a practical value. <laughs> but if not that, I mean, kind of talk about like, was animation something that made you want to go to film school? You know what? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I never ever conceived of doing animation at any point in film school or, you know, until recently. Uh, what's really interesting and something that occurred to me today is that sometimes as a writer, you choose a project based on the fact that you know a lot about it. And then sometimes you choose a project because you want to learn about it. And uh, that's what this project was for me. I chose animation because I'd never done it, and uh, and I wanted to learn how to. And uh, it's been quite a challenge and quite a learning experience for me. And uh, one of the things that I love about animation is that I can bring a place like my first world to life without, you know, going bankrupt in the process because um, animation affords you that freedom, that freedom of imagination that you may not necessarily get otherwise. It is a friend to the independent artist, uh, especially with programs like After Effects who make it more accessible these days. And so, I mean, were, were there any um, animated films or anything of that nature that kind of inspired you uh, when you were growing up or anything that you watched um, as a kid and you're like, hey, that's a really good movie? I mean, rather than just saying, hey, that's a really good cartoon. <laughs> oh, well, there's so much. There's so, oh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, I was a, a Disney fan, you know, growing up. I think everyone is. In fact, when I was a little kid, there, there used to be this... Uh, small independent theater that was right next to our grocery store every week my brother and I would go uh, grocery shopping with my mom and we'd be allowed to rent a movie and uh, my brother always rented Sleeping Beauty and I always rented Robin Hood the Disney version and uh, so yeah definitely this is another instance where you know animation allows you to do something that regular filming doesn't And now this is a personal question because the, and related to animation, and this is going to bring in our uh, our long lost uh, East Coast podcast friends. Um, so you, you, they are well. They have been lost for at least a year. They're they're somewhere in the interwebs. We just have not been able to find them or locate them enough time to uh, to post a podcast. <laughs> but eventually they shall return. We promise. Uh, but yeah, they are both um, bronies. And you lived with them, and I'm curious, like, were you also sucked in to become a brony by uh, by virtue of uh, of their shared enjoyment of uh, of My Little Pony? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to live with three grown bronies? I, you know, I watched My Little Pony, and I was I was impressed. I will I will say that I was definitely impressed. It was an apology present that I did not expect. And uh, I was like, this is a lot more sophisticated. And I, I believe that actually is true of um, of present-day animation. And a lot of it seems like it's a lot more sophisticated than the animation we grew up with. Um, and the storytelling was strong, but the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, I don't see how this appeals to men of my age group. Apparently it does. So, you know, we'll power to them. Chris, 
Chris and and uh, and everyone else on our East Coast podcast team, we love you guys. We're, we're not being judgmental. Uh, all all two of our fans are bronies, and so um, one of or one of them is all two of them, all both of them. One of them is a lady. How about the thirty thousand views on that My Little Pony panel? Oh God! And and we have a thirty thousand view YouTube of My Little Pony from New York Comic Con two years ago. brought that up so that also makes us now sad that we're not at new york comic-con so that i can't end on a sad note so when i hand it over to you here even though um uh, even though again you kind of have a sad and dismal but also awesome project and i want to want to just kind of give you a chance to close and tell people why they uh, should become a citizen of mortu's law and help uh, get this thing off the ground and help make this awesome motion comic uh, reality Don't forget, don't forget, you're also on the Twitter. I am on the Twitter, that's right. We're at the Cursed Tales. <laughs> I might have forgotten that, thank you. That was, that was a curse. You apparently um, are cursed to forget your Twitter handle, which I think many people are. So, yes. There, there, there are a lot of amnesiatic curses that, that take place in Motor as well, actually. So. Well, it that is... is but we will make sure with this interview that people do not forget you and your project. And uh, with that, we just want to say thanks for, for coming on board, Kenny. Hope you have a great day and a great success with uh, with uh, Mortu's Law and with Accursed. And uh, what is your um, – you have a full name there. What is the uh, the kind of the uh, under – or the uh, – what do you call that? The, the name that's under a name, the subheading of, of the – And now on that happy note, <laughs> we will we will let you go, man. Have a good one. All right, thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a good one, Kenny. Anyway, guys, um, that was Kenny, and I really hope you guys support his his motion comic. Yeah, because our name's on it. You yeah. gotta, you gotta support it because you're not fans of kind of epic if you're not watching a kind of epic adventure. Like it's an actual epic fantasy. Like there's no kind of right. Like it's an epic fantasy animated film thing, the Majigger that it, we're a part of. I think the coolest uh, part of it is the fact that you can be in it one of the incentives is to have yourself be in this town yeah i mean i'm gonna come up with a really fun curse he's already put a curse for me on the uh on the website but um nice. i will invent one as well i'm sure now how much how much were the incentives um there's a, a lot of different breakdowns i mean everything from from five dollars where you're just a well-wisher all the way to um i gave uh, a shoulder to cry on 
to um, I think the third one, uh, or the highest level is at 300. So, I mean, anywhere from 5 to 300. So you've got all sorts of things in between. I think some of the character incentives start at about 35. Nice. And uh, what was the overall goal for the project? Um, the overall goal, they're about a quarter of the way through. Um, they, they've managed to, to raise around $1,200 at, at this time. Hopefully it'll be more by the time we post the episode. Yeah. Um, so I have a little under 20 days at this point to a little under perhaps two, a little over perhaps two weeks to, to raise the rest. They're actually shooting for five grand. Okay. But again, with Indiegogo, I mean, there are fees associated, but at least they're going to keep whatever they, keep they, make. What they make. Yeah. So I'm yeah, I mean, regardless, you're going to be seeing, you want to, we want to see this season. And then yeah. if this is successful, we're just going to build from success to success. And Kenny's got a good thing going here. So we're very happy to help him out. Very nice. Very nice. And Kenny's such a great guy and his, Personal life has been such a struggle here of late, so any helping hand would be much appreciated. It's it's dismal in such a fun way. I, I, it's, a, it's a nice project. I, I had the pleasure reading all of it, and I haven't had a chance to listen to all of it yet. Like I said, I didn't even know Chris and, and, uh, and Rich had been involved, but yeah. I'm really going to... So I've got a reason to, to watch. <laughs> I'm going to be quite happy to see the finished product. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, next... You guys might be familiar with these guys. Actually, I kind of want to fit our, um, if you don't mind, I kind of want to fit our two experimental type of things together because I talked about that before we did our first interview there. The fact that there there isn't as much of a space. I mean, in a way, there's a bigger space for those, the small guys to, to get out there and do yeah. their first stuff. But it's harder for them to, I mean, to have to have that kind of intimate impact that they used to have where, I mean, you see yourself on screen or, I mean, you see, um, gosh, I mean, there, there's really just not that many hand-drawn animations, for instance, anymore as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think um, it's cool to go from uh, one of our, our, our own uh, film student buddies to another uh, film student uh, who is uh, who is out there uh, working the trade and putting together something that actually earned uh, this year's um, uh, Student Academy Award for yeah. Best Animation, something that the good folks at Pixar have done themselves and uh, a lot of other really great um, people um, have won. And we talk a lot about the program itself and what it means and also just kind of the future of animation. So this well, is one I'm really proud of. Uh, you talked about like the uh, how traditional animation is kind of non-existent anymore. And I really liked the uh, Paperboy. Yeah, that was the, one of the actual Oscar, Oscar shorts this yeah. year. And did it win? Did it win? Oh, yeah. yeah. It trounced the competition. That was a beautiful short. Yeah, it really happened. was. So if you guys haven't seen Paperboy, check out. Oh, no, Paper Man. Paper Man. Paper Man. I thought it was, I thought it was Paper Paper, Paper Man. Paper Man. Um, it's on the uh, Wreck-It Ralph DVD. And it was shown in the theaters before the movie. And it's just beautiful. And it's a combination of traditional... Disney animation. Well, actually, it isn't. Um, well, it's the style of the traditional Disney animation. It's it's replicated using new new 3D technology. Yeah. So essentially, they're animating a three-dimensional figure on a two-dimensional plane without using, I think, cell shading techniques. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept, and there's a lot of the making of features both on YouTube and on the DVD that I really suggest going in. And our, I mean, the next guy that we have here, um, our, our Student Academy Award winner, is actually not um, a traditional animator. It isn't a 2D animation. Um, the, the thing that won the overall um, Student Academy Award um, was um, was a 2D animation. But, I mean, I love the amount of experimentation that's going on, the fact that the Student Academy Awards actually have an experimentation category, essentially. Yeah. Um, and we also interview her, and we'll have her um, and the other Student Academy Award winners that we talked to. Um, way back in, uh, in March of this year, we're going to have a special episode with them eventually as well. But yeah, I, d I mean, really don't want to take up too much of your more of your time, but get right to uh, to the jockstrap rightus. 
and uh, in some World War One humor. Hey, Mark. Uh, sorry about that there. <laughs> or, uh, let me know if, uh, if you're ready. And I just got to say thanks for, for giving us some of your time today to be on uh, Kind of Epic Show with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, if you don't mind, I'm going to do uh, just a quick introduction here to let people know who you are. I mean, feel free to restate anything that I'm saying or um, if I've got anything uh, that you want to elaborate on here. Um, but okay. we have uh, a special guest with us today, another Student Academy Award winner. Um, uh, Mark it has a film called The Jockstrap Raiders, <laughs> which is set in uh, World War One and has some, some really fun animation. And uh, it was another one of the uh, winners in the animation category. Um, this year, and part of why we got you on here, Mark, is because we expect uh, big things in the future, and I really uh, enjoyed uh, the film, and uh, just wanted to see if we could get to you uh, talking about that, and uh, see what other projects uh, you're working on these days. Yeah, great, great. Sounds good. And uh, just wanted to start with, with that film. Uh, what made you come up with this idea about uh, a World War One flying squadron made up of... Uh, well, you, you can describe them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a World War One. Um, basically, they're uh, they're all misfits uh, during World War One who are have a rugby and flying team uh, back in Leeds, England, and they they can't join the war because of their admir abnormalities. Uh, they have some physical abnormalities, and our, our hero Mikey has kind of a mental block against. Uh, he has a fear of water, so he can't go to the war. Um, and so uh, they're, they're blocked from going to the war's end, but then those those those, those abnormalities help them later in the final in the final battle. Um, but but the, the reason I, the reason I wanted to make this movie was um, just uh, from being a fan of uh, war, old war movies. Um, I love war movies like the uh, the Longest Day, uh, Bridge Too Far, To Hell and Back. Um, but, but the one that really got me was uh, Kelly's Heroes. It's because it's, it's like half comedy, half war movie. And, and uh, when I started making this, I know people told me, "Oh, you can't make a comedy about war." And, and, and as I started making it, it wasn't—I wasn't making fun of war because obviously that's not a funny subject at all. It's more having uh, funny characters and putting them into extreme situations. I think where the comedy comes out, and that's kind of like uh, the same thing with Kelly's apparently, Heroes. Right? Apparently, Kaiser jokes are, are deeply under-exploited because that was actually pretty funny, <laughs> the, uh, oh, the, main, <laughs> the, the main villain. Oh, thanks, thanks, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I knew, uh, I definitely wanted to set it in World War One. Uh, you know, to have the Red Baron, the Kaiser, um, but also it was kind of the, uh, the, the, kind of the beginning of aviation. I mean, aviation was very young back then, so I figured I could have crazy planes and really kind of have some crazy designs in there. And what um, kind of curious about the the, the style because it seems very similar, and especially with the the British aesthetic, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have pegged you as an American filmmaker just having watched the film, and then also just just kind of it fits into the animation style of something like. Um, Oh, gosh, I would say maybe not the cartoons, but things like uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of just the the, the anthropomorphic animal type uh, British films. We'll say <laughs> there's a lot of the uh, uh, the the humor from uh, uh, from from some of the older claymation uh, type films, so like Wallace and Gromit and things like that. I'm just wondering uh, like yeah. if that was the influence. Or... Well, I, I've always been a giant fan of uh, Monty Python and and um, and things like that, and I remember watching those when I was really young on like PBS, and and I was, I was just it was just such outlandish, crazy comedy. 
Um, and ever since then, I've loved British humor as well. And so when I decided to make this, um, I kind of wanted to tap into some of that. And, uh, of course, I got a really great voice actor, uh, Fred Caddishore, who did 99% of the voices in the movie. And he could, he could change his different uh, dialect and different Scottish accents, English accents. Um, so I was very fortunate to get him uh, in the movie. Um, as for the st style, I just kind of uh, just wanted to design characters that I thought were funny looking and, and but, you know, kind of had that 3D aesthetic and that, um, you know, uh, you know, just kind of that appeal to it, I guess. Is, yeah. Let's also say um, the the bit with the uh, with one of the the characters who had his uh, his midsection replaced by a stump as well just seemed came off as very British and so I don't know something uh, <laughs> about it. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's classic uh, stoicism. Got your midsection sh shot up right out from under you. You keep going as you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that kind of that kind of British attitude, exactly. Um, um, yeah, I, I was uh, fortunate. I just uh, was working in um, London for 10 months when the film got done while I was going to the, to the festivals and stuff like that. And I actually got into a few British festivals, and I was afraid that, you know, the British might be offended or, or you know, thinking I was making fun of them or in any way. But, uh, no, it, it, got, it got good, uh, good reception. Where no one, you know, obviously, if anyone can laugh at themselves, it's the British. And so, uh, so that was good. Because I definitely wasn't making fun of them. It was just this group of, group of crazy characters. I do say that American chap has got this rather odd ideas about the Great War. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all in all, it was something that we really enjoyed and just curious what, what you're working on now, and um, we're, we're hoping to see you uh, in the future. And um, if you can also, uh, if you don't mind, just giving a, a quick uh, shout-out where people can find the film online. Yes, um, what I'm working on now is um, I'm, I'm still finishing up a, a movie that I've been working on um, while, I was in, while I was in London. It's a Disney movie. Um, I'm doing visual effects. I'm a visual effects artist by trade. Um, and I was doing that while I was finishing up this film. Um, kind of going to school, kind of doing visual effects, kind of finishing up this film. Um, and, uh, and, that, and now uh, that that's wrapping up, I'm definitely I'm, I'm working on a web series right now. Uh, also just doing a lot of writing. Um, animation feature scripts as well as kind of trying to get more into live action uh, so, so yeah so lots of writing doing some pitch, uh, pitching pitching around town here in Hollywood um, yeah the, the, the film can be found at uh, uh, Vimeo.com uh, and it's also on YouTube um, I think Vimeo is higher quality so I'd rather people watch it there uh, just because of yeah you know you work you work for four, four or five years on a project you definitely want the best quality and the, you know the best look <laughs> I definitely can't can't blame you for that one, and then yeah. I was just going to say um, uh, through through the visual effects uh, angle of things, uh, SMD is working that at the moment. Um, we're, we're trying to uh, part of what we're doing this month is also kind of taking stock uh, of that after the Oscars, and I mean just to see the state of the industry. We have friends and, and people who work in, in visual effects as well, and um, just wanted to, to see where were you you think of, of the future of the, the industry, um, where where people are going, if things are bright, or do you even feel like uh, just commenting a bit about kind of the the solidarity that people were showing on social networking with uh, changing over their avatars to, to green screens and just kind of acknowledging the contribution that visual effects artists make. Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I, I always look at the positive side of things, um, and, and I, I, I do think I do think it's going to kind of work itself out. I, there's, there's never been a stronger need for visual effects than there is now. Even 
even in films, we, we do some visual effects on films that are called hidden effects where you wouldn't even know there's an effect there. It just looks like a regular shot, but, you know, you're removing things in the background, adding things. I, I don't, I don't, visual effects aren't going anywhere, and the quality, I mean, you know, as of now, it's still in America and, uh, you, know, some, you know, in Canada. Um, a lot of the overseas studios just still aren't putting out the quality, so I think, I think it's safe there. I think it really lies in the, the visual effects companies not underbidding each other so much and just having these crazy razor thin profit margins. Um, obviously, it's illegal. It's against the law to actually have all those companies come together in a meeting room and you know fix prices. You can't do that. But um, yeah, there has to be a, a, a happy medium because I mean, you know, like I said visual effects aren't going away. I know tons of people who just got laid off. Um, it's really sad, but. Hopefully, you know, they'll just, you know, go on to another company, a more stable company, hopefully, um, and just, yeah, as long, I, you know, I hate to blame the company because obviously, obviously that's a bread and butter, it's a basis, but, um, it seems to be like it is industry-wide, because we, we talked to uh, somebody who was on the Oscar-winning team uh, at Digital Domain, which had also went, went under in the past year. And I mean, I think everybody, I mean, just to, for a little bit of context for those who don't know or haven't listened to our other interview on the subject, um, it's focusing on companies like Rhythm and Hughes, and then also a big company out of Germany um, that did the special effects for for Hugo. Um, so, like a couple of these these houses that have done like four of the five like Best Picture nominees or 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 winners for visual effects over the past couple of years have went belly up, and so that's that's kind of where the screen screen uh, movement is, is starting from. And one of the things that that we heard from him uh, for, from the artist at Digital Domain was that. Artists don't generally treat, or, or producers don't generally treat visual effects artists like, uh, like a reshoot, like like they would anything else. Like you, you've got to complete the effects. Like, eh, I don't like it. So why don't you do that again? And then the budget doesn't yeah. change. Is that something that that you've had to do, where you've had to rework a visual effect? And and even though it's the same, it's a lot more hours now. They're essentially still working on that same project or the same price scale. Like you don't get an extra budget oh, yeah. to rework visual effects. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that happens all the time. And, and yeah, again, it's like it's kind of far from the course, and it shouldn't be. I mean, it, it should be. But a lot of the companies don't bid for a lot of that reworking. And it's, you know, up to a certain point, I, I totally agree with notes. Notes are great, but, you know, once they approve something in blocking, they shouldn't rework it after it's, you know, finalized. Or if they approve, you know, you know, like a temp version of it, I mean, like, yeah, it just seems like they keep going back sometimes, and, and you know, I know I know things change, I know stories change and all that, but, I mean, I think they're going to be worked into the, to the budgeting, because that definitely happens quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a shame, right? I think the whole kind of system needs to kind of take a step back and kind of look where they're at and how things are bid and how things are, are, are financed and, you know, build a whole lot, basically. And then another one, since you may be coming a little bit since you're at Disney, how do you think like having one of the biggest effects houses, both visual and and practical, that is out there? I mean, to have that be a part of Disney now with with Lucasfilm and with with Lucas Sound. I mean, is that something where um, where you think that's just adding a new another powerhouse? And you're just talking about again the quality really lies in America, or do you think it, it means that with less competition, like you said, the the prices can kind of still be kind of crazy? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think you could go either way. I mean, you know, um, say what you want about Disney. I, I still think they um, they do want to be creative and they do want to make the next great thing. Uh, you know, obviously they own Marvel now and things like that. Um, but but I, you know, hopefully if they keep hiring the right directors. Uh, you know, and then you know, 
good directors, really good directors, uh, Josh Sweden and all those guys for Marvel and, you know, um, you know, uh, Sam Raimi for Oz. I mean, if it keeps bringing in those creative types and, let, you know, giving them some freedom to do what they want to do, I think it's going to, I don't think it'll kind of really get narrowed in, which is good. Um, you know, and, but uh, uh, going back to the visual effects thing, I just think industry-wide and worldwide, even people watching movies, I think there needs to be a bigger respect for visual effects. Uh, when, uh, when the guy, when the cinematographer, he's a great cinematographer, don't get me wrong, but when he went to cinematographer for like Talk about five, the lighting effects for for things that were digital. So <laughs> it's, there yeah, was, yeah. the lighting effect is not that impressive if you're just a, an Indian dude swimming around in a very large pool. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, people don't realize how much, how much of that shot is visual effects. I'm sure, I mean, I was talking to my, you know, my dad, he knows nothing. He just loves movies. And, and I showed him, you know, a picture before and after, and he was blown away. And he's like, I have no idea. I'm like, but yeah, people, even the, you know, common person needs to kind of know about that just to kind of visual effects artists get more respect for all the magic that they do make, you know? I think, that's, I think if anything comes out of the green screen movement, I think it should be at least that, just like a base level of respect for, for, for an industry that is responsible for, I think, a lot of those dollar signs that, that Hollywood is is really happy about. It comes from, from getting people in their seats, and they get people in their seats with big-budget Hollywood films, and the big deliver or the big... Uh, Spectacle comes from uh, from keystrokes. It doesn't come from from well. Explosions are nice, but <laughs> you got to make sure that you got a little bit of code behind it to make them really really pop. So I mean, it's there's there's a lot that you guys do, and I think we we can can play our small part today and and helping to to get respect where it's due. And uh, beyond that, we just wanted to talk about um, the Student Academy Awards and and how you you feel that's going to impact your career going forward, and just kind of how you feel about the the program and and its importance. Um, no, I mean, it's just, it's just such an honor to win the Sydney Academy Award. I know there's, like, a lot of films involved and, you know, just getting through all the process and all the regional, you know, uh, voting and things like that. Um, so, yeah, no, it's an absolute honor just, you know, being part of that, uh, you know, that kind of community. And it was really great, you know, when I came in, um, you know, they, they took us around for a good week beforehand. We got to go to the cinematographer's. Uh, clubhouse meet with a lot of those guys and you know, a lot of old cinematographers and some younger guys and just uh, meeting other directors and things like that and just it was, it was a really good process of learning and learned a lot and all that stuff um uh, uh but yeah no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great to have the award and just just you know it, it was just a nice you know and like i said after spending like four years on a movie you get such a tunnel vision you don't even know if it's good or not you know a joke i wrote four years ago i don't even know if it's funny anymore and and just to kind of get that, um, that kind of pat on the back, you know, I'm not really one for awards, but just, you know, hey, you're going to use some people like it. You know, it was, it was a real relief to me. Um, and, uh, you know, you know and at the end of the day, I made the movie for people to watch it. And that's why, obviously, I finally put it online, and it's great. I'm made them over, like, 100,000 hits right now on Vimeo, and it's just, it's so nice to actually have people watch it, and hopefully just people enjoy it uh, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, through, through all that, I have... Uh, I have made some more industry contacts and things like that, so I'm just hoping for good things in the future. One of, one of our um, host websites is Sequel Buzz, so we always like to, to ask if we're able, <laughs> if you have any sequel potential, or, or you can imagine now, I mean, working at, at Disney or, or some of the other projects, um, revisiting this and, and making it into to either a feature length or um, maybe telling some more stories for, for these guys. 
No, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the poetry I definitely would love to turn into a feature. Um, you know, it's already about 20 minutes long already. I think my first script is about 50 pages long, so I, I think it'd be, it wouldn't be that uh, difficult. I think I have a lot of the, I have so much, so many backstories and things like that that I've been but just to bring it down to the, to the 19, I think 19 minutes or 1855 or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things I'd be, you know, happy to do it. I mean, sure, after, you know, four years, you get kind of sick of it, but uh, it's, it's something that, you know, you know very well. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you for your, for your time. Um, the last thing that we want to do here real quick is um, just uh, a quick throw to where people can find, uh, again, your material online and so where they can find um, info about about the the film the Jock Strap Raiders, which is pretty fun to say and also weird to say. <laughs> but um, beyond that, um, just where they can find you online, and then we'll do a, a quick vote too for um, for kind of epic show as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the, um, uh, the film Jock Strap Raiders can be found uh, at com. You can watch it there. You can see some of the artwork. You can see a little making of the video that I put together. It's also on Vimeo and uh, YouTube. And where can they find uh, some more info uh, about you? Do you have a personal website or anywhere, uh, Twitter or anything where people can follow you online? Uh, I actually don't. I'm kind of a, I've been off the radar for quite a long time, but I do have some personal information, some contact information about myself uh, on my website or on the website, jockstarcreators.com. Also, there's a link to my um, IMDb page there as well. Um, you can see some of the visual effects movies I've worked on and things like that. Come to the dark side of social networking. We have internet cookies. They're literally <laughs> required for you to visit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I finally started a Facebook page, but I, it's not under my name. It's under the Jock Separator's name, so I, I still don't even have my own personal Facebook. Someday. I think we got to see a little bit of the future of animation there, and I think that's a really cool thing. I mean, maybe not even just the future of animation, but film and video games and art. I mean, it's it's amazing what those grads can do. I mean, people like Kenny or people like Mark. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, Mark Nelson, um, one of this year's Academy uh, Student Academy Award winners. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot in, in his future, and I think that's kind of epic. I agree. Now, the, the next guys, um, they... Uh... They dominate the world of Saturday morning cartoons. They're they're why we have a Saturday morning cartoon special. Exactly, and at least for for these guys, maybe the Adventure Time guys too. But I mean, really, this is Cartoon Network's biggest product outside. Well, of, not outside not of those not guys. just Cartoon Network. It was pretty much the most popular. Like it's all over the freaking place. Yeah, Man of Action is all over the place. They are they are with Disney. They're with Warner Brothers. They're with both simultaneously. Like that's nice. Yeah. How do you how do you even pull that off? I I watch three of their cartoons mm -hmm. every weekend. So tell tell me tell tell fans who do not know what Man of Action is. Tell them what their cartoons are. Man of Action is this nice little creative little. <laughs> creative. Uh, mind meld of a creative studio. Like when you watch one of their cartoons, it says written by Man of Action. It's not usually dedicated to one writer. Uh, Man of Action gets a credit. And it's just this these former comic book creators. I mean, no, not former. I mean, they still they produce. They still stuff. produce, yeah. But we're going to talk in the yeah. interview about some of their really good books that yeah. they've got out. And they, really they do experimental still produce cool books. books. But. All these creators got together and started this, and they've produced some of the best cartoons that are on TV today. So I'm going to name drop a few here. Generator Rex, 
Yeah, I mean, Generator Rex, we're talking about Ben 10, not just the Omniverse, the whole the whole shebang. And, uh, I mean, some of these characters even originated back from their comics work. And uh, now you can talk more about uh, their legacy now with the Marvel animation, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, over on Disney XD, they're doing uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. They're doing Avengers Assemble and uh, Hulk Agents of Smash. Hulk Agents of Smash kind of looks lame, but also awesome at the same time. It's it's pretty awesome. I like it. Um, the voice cast is entertaining. Do you know what the saddest part of the government shutdown is, David? Wow. I mean, I know you kind of discussed this in your last episode, um, but or Did last we? two episodes. I mean, just talking about a shutdown, but we still had yeah. other things. But I don't think we actually ever talked about the yeah. shutdown. I just use that for the episode number. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying right now, S.H.I.E.L.D. is so underfunded that we could not stop uh, rampaging Hulk if, I mean, if it were to happen, New York City would just be devastated. Would Would S.H.I.E.L.D. be affected by the government oh i think absolutely i mean you think that the government is not useful but then you forget about the extra paramilitary organizations that are out there and i mean just really i mean you gotta you gotta respect shield is the fbi shut down actually it is part major parts of it are actually it's not it's not funny at all like are the x-files shut down (laughs) the x-files yeah i would think so yeah like now is a great time to get probed if you're uh if the aliens are coming i mean i'm sure that there are millions of hilljacks out there who are being affected right now and Think of all the cows that have been abducted, I'm sure. The truth is out there, kids. You're a Filey. I don't blame you for being a Filey, David. I am a Filey. That's awesome. Mm. But yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, that sucks. But but yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. Shield will probably get shut down. Yeah, probably. Speaking of X-Files, you know a show I never watched? Twin Peaks. I've never watched Twin Peaks. You've never seen the, the little person talk backwards? Nope. Talk backwards while talking forwards. It's kind of awesome. I've never watched Twin Peaks. Some of the actors were at um, at uh, at Horror Hound. Oh, nice. Anyways, uh, cartoons. <laughs> I, I could go on and on about. They're so used to us not staying on a topic. I feel like we know, would disappoint right? them if I we know. had a well-produced episode like our Gen Con episode. That was that was well-produced. Yeah, said... It will be well-produced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting so much faith in, in you, David. I'm not even going to say. I know, right? I, but I worry because, like, when I say, like, all these nice things about you in an episode, you don't work as hard. I feel like I have to, I have to crap on you to make you to make you work better. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just what I'm in the mood for that day. Yeah. It's not – it doesn't have anything to affect you. It's just what the mood I'm in. Like, eh. Yeah, you had some good content, though. I mean, we're talking with some really awesome animators. That's, that's why. We're that's kind of why we've held this for the last interview. I mean, we wanted yeah. to, to save the, well, not the cream of the crop. We're not trying to diss Jim or any of the other people here, but these guys are the animation industry. And just to be fair, guys, um, it is at a loud convention. The audio might be a bit rough. So just a fair warning on that. Um Anyways, this is Man of Action. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Right. Hi, uh, we're here again at C2E2. Uh, you're watching Kind of Epic Show. And um, we are here with the creators of Ben 10 and many other fine, fine comics and comics-related products and cartoons. So we wanted to actually um, see if we can throw you and um, just let, let uh, people know what you're working here, uh, working on here at C2E2 and promoting. Uh, give a much better introduction than I did there. I gave the kind of epic intro. Let's see what, what you guys can, can do to talk, talk about your work here. Sure. Uh, my name is Duncan Rulo. I'm one of the founding members of Man of Action. We created Ben 10, as you said. Uh, also Generator Rex. Uh, and 
one of the executive producers on The Ultimate Spider-Man for Disney XD, and uh, the up-and-coming Marvel's Avengers Assemble, which will also be on Disney XD. Writers and artists uh, worked in comic books for about 15 years, 20 years. Uh, let's say 15. This gray beard might belay uh, that. They had a reboot. It's only been five. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, we've worked for Marvel and DC, but in the last uh, eight, nine years or so, we've been publishing our own books through Image. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, what is standing right b behind you? I mean, what you, the current iteration uh, of Ben sure. 10 and um, what you Sure. Uh, the latest uh, iteration of Ben, uh, though I'm sure a lot of your audience already knows, <laughs> uh, is uh, Ben 10 Omniverse. And uh, it follows, uh, it, if you uh, watch the show, it kind of, uh, much like Harry Potter, uh, follows him as he gets older and also all the different issues that happen as you get older and your worldview, how it expands. Um, obviously, the first iteration started off when he was 10 years old uh, with 10 uh, aliens uh, that he could change into. And we're slowly but surely working our way up to that Ben 10,000 character that appeared in the uh, first episode. Right now, in the Omniverse, Ben, uh, Gwen, his uh, cousin, and uh, Kevin, 11, who uh, have gone off to college, and Bennett is not. He's a little, he's a little younger, and also he's still trying to find himself. Not sure what he's going to do. Uh, so he's decided to plunge full on in to become a plumber, and he has taken off, uh, uh, taken on the, uh, the duties of actually taking an apprentice on or a, uh, a rookie to kind of show the ropes. But what also happens is. He's already shown up, so I'm not going to spill too much beans. Uh, a 10-year-old version of him is also introduced, and Ben gets to meet the uh, the earlier version of himself, and obviously the earlier version doesn't like who he is now, and the uh, older version thinks the little one's a punk, so we get a lot of fun with that. It seems like you had the kind of dual layers for, for that, though, because you also have at the same time, again, you mentioned the, the partner or the, the rook that's a part of uh, of uh, the, the plumber team form, and of course, uh, Grandpa hanging <laughs> around as always. Um, but what do you think that there's? I mean, a little bit of redemption though, in that he's he's been going around with with that that person. He's get, taking that senior role and, and training somebody. So I mean, is that something that the the younger Ben is gonna gonna think is pretty all right about about this this guy? He's 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 doing a pretty good job, at least on that front. Well, uh, you know, I think that that's exactly right. What you have is. Uh, you could say at around 19 or so that that's a great time to do some self-exploration as it is, uh, where you're really going to spend some time defining yourself. And so uh, Ben has to figure out what it is and who he wants to really become. Uh, the watch is a force, you know, that is uh, just makes his decision making all that more important. But ultimately, it's, it's some it's something that we all go through at that age. And so. Uh, him holding on to his youth has always been a part of him. So in a little ways, his 10-year-old version is a ghost that he's still holding on to. Uh, but also, it, it is for something that he needs that character to look up to him. And in a weird way, it's accepting yourself, too, as, uh, as growing up and needing to become somebody that you can look up to for yourself. We have dozens of uh, followers. Very, very, very few people watch this, so tell us everything. <laughs> That's it. That's all you're getting.
You gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. I've given my pitch. <laughs> oh, can you tell us some more about the the Marvel products uh, that you're here promoting? And uh, right, uh, might pan over there or, or not, but uh, pretty close here to the the Marvel booth, and you're working on on two uh, cartoons for them right now. The Ultimate Spider-Man, which is uh, coming out in its uh, second season. For those who have been watching the show already know that Spidey is now leading a small little team for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. promised him at the beginning of the show to make him the ultimate Spider-Man as just to opposed to the amazing Spider-Man. And uh, he liked that idea. Uh, but it's not always going well for him. In the second season of Spider-Man, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, you are going to get some of the backstories on all of the other team members. So you will see a great backstory on White Tiger, on Nova, on Power Man. Um, so you'll get all of those. Uh, that's happening in, the, uh, in that show. And then in Marvel's Avengers Assemble, all I can say is it's going to be awesome. And it's coming out in May. And that it will take uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, it won't forget it, but it, it's going to take its lead more from the movie. It's going to take a while, because I know you can't reveal much. There will be Avengers in it, and they will, in fact, assemble. Yes, and disassemble, and assemble, and disassemble. What you're telling me is they're actually a giant fighting robot. No, I'm telling you they're like any type of group of people who know each other too well. Well, thank you so much. Um, and, and, of course, we would be... Um, uh, really bad if, if we didn't um, take advantage of, of the fact that we are here at your booth to, to talk about the, the comics that you're working on here as well. And I mean, just let us know what, what you guys are here promoting. Well, uh, we print everything uh, now through, uh, for the most part, through Image. Uh, not every book, but uh, a lot of these are graphic novels. Uh, two that are newer on the, uh, the foreground are Steve Siegel's uh, The Red Diary, which has just been nominated for an Eisner. Uh, coming up, and we'll find out in uh, San Diego. And what uh, The Red Diary is, is he and the artist Teddy Christensen, one of his longtime partners, uh, uh, who's a great painter, a Dutch painter, uh, had done a, a story uh, totally in Dutch and then sent it to Steve. And Steve read through it and without knowing what the story was, did his own version on the same art. So you get two very different stories uh, based on the exact same artwork. So that is the Red Diary uh, or the Read Diary. I'm going to suggest an alternate title, Here There Be Patents. <laughs>
or the Apple story. He always tries to uh, patent his stuff. That's the backstory, and you'll see that there's already patents uh, pending from other people. That is really great. Um, and just kind of in closing, what we always like to do is a bit of a throw to, um, where uh, if you don't mind, just going ahead and, and reintroducing yourself this time with the mic. And um, of course, obviously, feel free to promote uh, Man of Action Studios, at Ben 10, or Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, whatever you would like, or uh, any of the the comics. Sure, I'll just do a little stinger for. And then um, just say um, you're with or you're watching, kind of epic show. Kind of epic show. This is Duncan Rulo, and you're watching Kind of Epic Show. I'm a member of Man of Action Studios, creators of Ben 10 and Generator Rex. We're also executive producing The Ultimate Spider-Man, as well as the new up-and-coming Marvel's Avengers Assemble. So stay tuned, learn something, and I'm going to hand this mic back over. Hey. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. I hope you guys... Uh... I, well, I can't talk. No, I you mean hope. You know they enjoyed it. Yeah. I, well, I was going to say, I hope your ear holes aren't bleeding, just in case that audio is bad, worse than what I remember. Ah, you, you always fret and worry needlessly. Is it? Yes. Is it? All right. Fair enough. But anyway, we do have, um, I did want to say, you know what, a cartoon we didn't talk about before what? we leave? Captain Planet. What, what about Captain Planet? Why are they doing a live-action Captain Planet? I don't know if I know. I have no idea how they'll do it, and I really wish Chris was here to explain his pitch for a Captain America or Captain Planet movie because oh Captain Planet Captain America crossover no, I'm down no 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 they no. should fight, they like would work to no to... no 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 that's what? not what it was it's not it's not gonna be what it would be no I accidentally said Captain America and said I, Captain I, hey I think it would be awesome I, I think don't. Cap could like fight they could fight pollution together I don't think Captain Planet is still relevant. In any way. I think that environmental issues are far more relevant today than they were in the early 1990s. But could it be adapted into a well-produced movie? In what way is Ninja Turtles going to be adapted into a well-produced movie? <laughs> I'm not saying it will. It, yeah. might, it might be awful. I mean, there have been worse projects. I'm just saying I kind of like that but, it is back in the collective consciousness. You know about the fact that, well, Turtles 3 kind of sucked. It mm. kind of sucks. But it has the chick from Everybody Loves Raymond. And the middle, right? Isn't that her? No. Isn't that her? I don't, I don't believe so, no. It, who plays April in that movie? The same chick that did in two. Darn. I thought that was her for some reason. No. Eh, it was inaccurate. I don't even know her name. <laughs> Neither do I. Oh, it was the worst of the Turtle movies. Yeah. And the live action series, though, is worse than that. Yeah. That's because, guess what? They're not done by Jim Henson Studios like the first two were. Jim Henson is kind of strange. You know, I, I got to see at C2E2, I got to see, um, uh, it was the world premiere. It was amazing to be a part of that. Um, at C2E2? Um, I got to see the world premiere Jim Henson short. It was a lost Jim Henson piece. It huh. was called, um, not What's Eating Gilbert Grape, goodness. No, it was. I think it was Gilbert the Grape. It okay. was actually Gilbert the Grape, and it was kind of awesome. Is that the actual name? Yeah, or it's, a, it's about a grape who um, who learns um, to, to love himself for being a grape. He gotcha. eventually turns into a pineapple. Gabe, can you explain your shirt to me? I've, oh, it's um. This is a shirt I picked up at a at a local horror convention. Oh. Uh, days uh, at uh, Horror Hound. What is, this is Harley Poe? Harley Poe is a uh, a a band. Oh, they are a horror rock band. Gotcha. And they're they're local, and they are worth supporting. 
Yeah. So, hey, I had a nice plug in the podcast. You, we really need to stay on topic. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I like. I, I don't mind throwing out a, a nice mention for Harley Poe. I got my little Cthulhu-like character on there. They have a Sesame Street shirt that was a lot more explicit um, that I couldn't buy. Um, oh, that's too bad. So Where they, can you buy it? Um, that was Sesame Street characters fl- flipping off. Uh, well, puns of Sesame Street characters flipping off people, and I couldn't really wear a profane shirt to work like that. No. But um, I, I would own it. I love that shirt. Anyways, back to cartoons. Uh, the cartoons I'm currently watching um, are, well, Turtles comes back this weekend. I'm so excited. The season premiere of Turtles is on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Season two. Hell yeah. Um, Beware the Batman, which I'm falling in love with. That show is awesome. Um, it's in kind of the style of the Green Lantern cartoon was, but... Uh, the Green Lantern cartoon was very good and I lamented, but I kind of like Beware the Batman more. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, you know, the only reason that Green Lantern was canceled was because they couldn't sell toys. Nobody wanted to carry Green Lantern toys after the movie. Oh, I mean, that is a sad association. But I will say the thing that's best about Beware the Batman is that it's Batman as a detective. Yeah, yeah. It's just good detective stories. And it also brings in characters that they had never really animated before, which is nice. Yeah. Do you know who's a character who I've never seen animated that is pivotal to, like, a lot of Batman stories? What? I've never seen Black Mask animated, I don't think. I don't think he was in the Bruce Timm stuff. I feel like he has been. I don't feel like he played a huge role if he was. Yeah, he was in uh, He was in uh, The Batman. The Batman? Yeah. See, I never watched The Batman. I, I like The Batman. A lot of people did not. I, I, I don't think there were people who actually watched it. I think there were people that saw the character designs. They were like, oh, that's awful. But to be fair, in animation, character design is a lot of what makes a good design. Like if, it lasted I mean, five years, Gabe. It lasted five seasons. Mm. It lasted five seasons. Is that the one that you showed me that Neil Patrick Harris had a cameo? No, that was Brave and the Bold, that which was, was awesome. Yeah, in its own way. Yeah, in its own cheesy, cheesy 60s Batman way. The Batman was more like the 70s type of Batman, wasn't he? No, I'd say it's pretty modern. Hmm. Because it, it started after Batman Begins. It was kind of, wasn't as dark as Batman, as the Nolan movies by any means. Yeah, that was just, the, that was the one Batman I never got into. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I actually own it all on DVD. <laughs> I would say that the original live action is still an animated Batman. Hey, right? We should just call that an animated Batman I story. I love the 60s Batman. It's great. Interesting fact. Um, uh, the Clock King, who was in... Uh, he was a, uh, a character created by the original Batman creator. Huh. And he uh, wrote... It was his last comic character that he wrote. And it was a character he wrote an episode for for the Batman sixties or the sixties Batman TV show. Oh wow! And the um, he didn't get the job because he was a creator of Batman. He got the job because a friend of his was the producer, and they didn't even mention really that like oh, hey, the creator of Batman, the one that does not have all the money, just made his last Batman story, guys. So not Bob Kane. Not Bob Kane. Gotcha. That's sad. It was kind of a sad story. It was, um, I read it on io9, I believe. It was yeah. a really interesting in-depth look to kind of like how he got messed over and, and what the original Batman design was. Because you talk about character design. <laughs> Batman with a red cape and a gun and uh, like a little domino mask was not Batman. Yeah. So it was really, I guess it was a Bill Finger. Yeah. So yeah, Bill Finger made Batman Batman. He really deserves a lot more of the credit than, than, um, than Bob Kane. Because, I mean, if that Batman had come on, it would have been a strip that would not have lasted outside of a year. And they would never have had the Joker. 
um, you would probably have still had Batman using guns, and you would probably not have had the Batman origin well, story. Well, Batman still used guns. Even in Detective 27, Batman has a gun. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, you wouldn't have had the origin story and the association with nonviolence and all the stuff that came later and the Joker and just a lot of the iconic elements and even campy characters like the Clock King. So yeah. a lot of what makes Batman Batman would not have existed without Bill Finger. And, but one thing I like about Beware the Bat, or, yeah, Beware the Batman is that uh, I think it's interesting to show a sidekick that's not Batgirl or Robin. Yeah, I mean, Batman Incorporated has a lot of characters that have never... I mean, uh, uh, do you think we'll ever see... Um, uh, I mean, Lucius has been a big film character. Do you think you'll ever see Batwing? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe not in, maybe not in Beware the Batman, because, I, I mean, they're definitely focusing on Katana, which is great, because it would be, it's nice to have a... a Asian role model. That's a woman in a cartoon. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And I mean, normally you'd be going with okay, Batman's getting a sidekick, Robin. That Set makes other sense. sidekicks. Do you know who has? I don't think Asriel has ever been animated. No, <laughs> maybe has he? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, or at least hom- like a homage to Asriel probably has, and he's appeared in games and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When they had the um. There was a, a the joke, the horrifying joke about Justin Bieber um, being in the next Batman movie. Um, I saw a, a GIF of um, of people okay with it because they were like, "Yeah, I mean, they took the uh, the the fo- or the female Robin from the uh, Carrie Dark- Kelly, Carrie Kelly, and they're just like, "Yeah, I think he'd be a great Carrie Kelly." <laughs> I can see Justin Bieber as Carrie Kelly. That's funny, uh, but I just think it's an interesting choice for the show, and they've already introduced Barbara. Barbara's been in the show, not as Batgirl, but as Barbara Gordon. And I really like the relationship that uh, Batman and Gordon have together. Hmm. Because it, it's uh, it's uh, they're against each other. They're antagonistic. Well, they're growing together. They're the first couple. Yeah, he's strictly against Batman. And they've kind of started to work together. It's weird. It's almost more like a, a Daily Planet type of deal. <laughs> it's like he's 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 more Jameson than. Uh, than he is uh, Commissioner Gordon to me. It's just so weird oh, to see him. Gabe. It's so well. Gabe. To be fair, he, Gabe. I'm just saying he has a bushy Gabe. beard. And Gabe. he's against the guy that he likes. Gabriel. Why? I'm just going to, I have to correct you. You said it's more like a Daily Planet. Did I say Daily Planet? And, then and I meant to say Daily Bugle. Yeah. The Daily Planet is not even a thing, is it? No, is it the planet? I mean, why oh am I? Oh my God, Gabe. Gabe. Can we delete Gabe, this? Gabe. No. We're deleting this no. part. No. We're not. I'm having verbal diarrhea. It's bad. Gabe, the Daily Planet is from Superman. Yes, I'm aware. The and the Daily Bugle is, is from Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I have well, horrible Jonah, names. Jameson. Why, why me and names are not associated well together, I don't know. Fancy's not a true nerd. It's a lie. Just, I am a nerd. I'm just throwing that out there. I am a nerd. Um. Anyways. I'm more socially awkward than most nerds I know, damn it. True. <laughs> Anyways, we're not really going to talk about it in this episode, but since this will be up this Saturday in like two days. Oh, wow. You're really going to work hard on this one. Yeah, because I want to support Kenny. So the sooner we have it out, the more money that he can get for his project. That's makes the sense. idea. I'm glad that we're doing it. And uh, and since it just came out, I have to, to tell you to go pick up at your local comic book store, Afterlife with Archie. Oh, yes. Oh, that's, 
It, I mean, I'm sure we could do an entire episode on Afterlife. We're going to do that next week for our Halloween episode. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's I can't beautiful. Wait. It's a gorgeous book. I didn't, I'm not a huge art. I mean, not, I'm not that I'm not a fan of Archie, but I didn't even know that the Archie and Sabrina the Teenage Witch universes were the same. Oh, really? I really didn't. I didn't know Riverdale and Greendale were neighboring places. Huh. And so the Sabrina the Teenage Witch stuff like has has given me nightmares all week. Right, because you're flashing back to the TV show. And... I'm just imagining Melissa Joan Hart with no mouth. <laughs> it was horrifying. And Hilda and Zelda as these flying wraith creatures of doom. I know, right? It was awesome. And it, the artwork's just beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's the... not, they're not the ugly stepchild of the franchise. It's a proper Archie comic book, only much it's better the... than you get mostly. It's the f- first all-ages, or not all-ages Archie book. It's... It's kind of neat. I like that. I like the fact that, okay, they we're going to take these beloved characters and make horrible, horrible things happen to them. Mm. And you know what? It still had the heartfelt moments that an Archie book does. Yeah. So, and heart-eating moments. <laughs> Speaking of heart-eating moments, can you believe that Quentin Tarantino liked The Lone Ranger? I haven't seen The Lone Ranger. You're not missing much. Like, I did pay to go see it, and it was a pain to watch. I mean, it was really bad. Yeah. I'm not telling you it's, like, worst movie of the year. It was, I mean, because After Earth, but, I mean, yeah. oh, God. it's in the top ten worst movies of the year. It's not quite did, Airbender did, bad, but did you like After it? Earth bad, but it's bad. So you liked it better than After Earth? I couldn't sit through After Earth. I was able to make it through most of The Lone Ranger. I've, I paid to see After Earth, and I finished it. I will say, like, there's no point... I, I think the reason that Quentin Tarantino likes it is for the racial slurs and gratuitous violence. Because he's like, "Why didn't I make this movie? Like, I didn't know this was I didn't know this was available for me to make this property." <laughs> That's funny. But he also listed Kick-Ass Two, which I enjoyed. But the critics I think did. again, it's more like his style of things. Like, if he wants, he likes seeing. But Gravity people. was also in his top ten list too. So yeah, but that's a good movie. Yeah, it's a gorgeous movie. He's a director, like, he's not a complete, he's not an utter dolt or moron. I mean, he's an Oscar-winning director, but let's be honest, he loves gratuitous violence, nudity, and sex. Wait, is he an Oscar-winning director? Isn't he? He's won Oscars, but I don't think for directing. Well, I mean, he's a director who has won Oscars. We'll keep, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's better. He might have. I don't remember. I don't know if Walt Fiction did or what... I don't remember. Guys, I'm going to throw out our pitch because we're going to have our PayPal button soon. If you want us to be a better, well, more well-researched and well-rounded podcast that can afford to have produ- producers and afford to have more than one screen to look at when they're researching stuff and not making themselves talk out of their And that not be the asses. one that we're recording on? Yeah. Um, then, then please hit that PayPal button. You will not have me verbally diarrheaing as much. It will be much better. Maybe. Possibly. I, I swear there will be improvement. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed our Saturday morning cartoon special. We're going to have to... We're, uh, this is not how you end a cartoon special. Well, we don't have Rob Paulson here to to make a funny cartoon voice. Nah, but I guess... But we have you. We we do have me. I mean, I was going to like probably do not a Mati voice, but I was trying to think of like... Because that would be racist. It would be. I'm not Mati. I mean, isn't, you gotta remember though, there's a lot of Star Trek people who are in Captain Planet. I love that, yeah. Whoopi, Whoopi is in, she's Gaia. And then, um, Sir LeVar, I mean, I'm calling him Sir. Why hasn't he been knighted? Somebody knight LeVar Burton. Because he's not British? Well, he should still be knighted. 
He's awesome. Unite people who are awesome. Can you unite people that aren't British? I think you do that all the time. Really? Yeah. Like who? I don't, I don't know. Gabe, you could knight him. Be like, I could. I'm, I'm giving him the Order of Canada, which actually is a real thing, so I can't actually give him that. But if I could give him the Order of Canada, I would. He could be a knight of kind of epic show. LeVar Burton, we, in the power vested by our podcast audience of two people, do hereby knight thee a kind of epic sir. That's a better outro than I thought we were going to get out of my rambling. So let's let's go with it. Let's hit the... Guys, we are coming to you with our outro. This is where we shamelessly plug and remind you that we intend to improve. We intend to make things kind of epic and live up to our name. And to do that, we need audience interaction. We need you to like us on our Facebook page, which is Kind of Epic Show. We need to have you follow us on the Twitter, which is Kind of Epic Show as well. It's pretty easy to find us. You just kind of type Kind of Epic Show into Google. Google. And you're there. Hey, you know what? If they also did that, it would also take them to our YouTube page. Well, it kind of does. Yeah, really, it does. You need it takes to type us in, to our videos. Yeah, type in your name, really. It's hard no, to find you sometimes. No, on Google... You type in Kind of Epic Show, and it'll bring us up with our videos, because I tag every one of them. And then you can follow my page. It's under my name, David West. Mm -hmm. I was going to tell him that. I was going to tell him to search for, for you, because that makes it easier to find the, the YouTube page. And I'm on Twitter, at David West underscore K-O-E-S. And I just have my full name, which I should probably be more worried about. But yes, it is Gabriel Canada, Gabriel with an A. Yeah, you should also add K-O-E-S. Onto it as I well. could do that, yeah, but I kind of like having my name on Twitter because most people don't get a chance to have their name on Twitter. Yeah, but I have my full name on Twitter, and then kind of epic show. You couldn't be David West though, because then you would get um, the basketball thing. I'm you... pretty sure I had my Twitter before that David West. Well, that David West is more famous. He has a blue check mark. You don't have a blue check mark, David. No, I don't yet. Mm. Hey guys, help us get a blue check mark on Twitter. <laughs> How do we get a blue check mark? We gotta Twitter? be like important people. Like they gotta verify that we're important people. We've had over a hundred thousand downloads. We have. We maybe we'll send that in a letter to Twitter and be like, "Hey, dudes, a hundred thousand downloads. Like, give us the blue check mark. Right. Don't don't make us throw a farewell at you. Right. We'll do it. And uh, yeah, um, Gabe, continue pitching. Oh well, because we actually do have something to talk about in our outro, yeah. which is longer than our intro this week. No, it's mm. not. Is it? Will it? No, I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Continue. I intend to make it longer than our intro. It's a challenge. Oh, guys, um, if you like our podcast, you should check out Nerd Management. Nerd Management. They're they're great guys. Um, I'm on there this week. We have a guest spot, have... and and from from being out in the world, we actually met another podcast. Yeah. Granted, technically, we wouldn't met them ages ago, but they weren't yet a podcast. They were co-workers. They were... We partially inspired them to make a podcast. We did inspire them to make a podcast. It's awesome. Theirs is probably better than ours. Maybe we shouldn't pitch it. They, that's because they have producers. Oh. They have somebody who does just that. That isn't actually on the show. It, can, it took me by surprise when I was doing it. I was like, wait. There's a guy adding sound effects right there that's not actually talking. It was kind of neat. It's what we're going to get with our donate button. We're going to buy a, a house elf to, to do all of our which, music and everything. Which, which, guys, just, again, to remind you, when we are doing interviews, I'm producing. I'm still there. I'm still a part of the show. I talk about that in the Matali Perkins thing. I know. 
I'm just I'm trying I try to rope you into interviews like for the uh, the drinking quest thing I figured you like beer yeah you but, like role playing say something but Gabe when you're doing the interviews I want them to sound perfect I want them to be good interviews so and I take no faith I take that in, back you have seat. no faith in what you're talking no, about you no. can do it man I have faith in my my skills here and want to put them to use I want to take that producer role when I'm don't have to be on the microphone. Why? Because when you left the room, we lost an entire interview. That did happen. That did happen. It was not a good day in the no. kind of epic household. No, it wasn't. Oh, well. It was one of the reasons we're looking for a producer, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And we were trying something new. We were being creative. And our outro is now officially longer than our intro. <laughs> you so thought continue. I was lying. But no, the reason it's longer than our intro is because if you've listened, if you've lasted this long, really, it's an endurance fest, you actually get something for your trouble. Um, oh, man, it won't be close to two hours. Yeah. Well, you're going to get to learn of why we had a special this week. And that's because we have more specials coming. We are going to be doing a Halloween special. Yes, we have, may or may not be from a haunted house. Well, it'll be from a haunted location. It'll be from a haunted location. It may not be from a haunted house. In fact, it probably will not be because we're, we're looking at haunted bars, haunted hotels, haunted uh, trails, maybe even a cemetery. But yeah, it, How could we record outside? We have equipment. Okay. Mm. It's, it's it's a house neighboring a cemetery. Okay. One of the Can long we, extension cords yeah, okay. into the graveyard. That works. We're well, yeah. But anyway, we will be busting some ghosts, and we've got some great guests already lined up. We've got three of the contestants from Face Off, including uh, J. Anthony Coase, our last year last season's winner of Face Off. Um, we have a Bram Stoker award-winning author um, who is about to come out with a. Um, which is the highest award you can get, really, in uh, horror, horror writing. Um, his name is uh, John Passarella. Um, he's the author of The Wither, or the Wendy Ward series. He's also done um, Buffy and Angel books, as well as uh, two super, or Supernatural books. And he's got a grim book coming out that he wants to talk about. So really one of the most perfect guests we could possibly have asked for for our Halloween special. And uh, as we said, we'll be coming from a haunted locale. And uh, we'll be um, very exciting. Uh, we'll be very exciting. And then we also have got, we've got our beer, our uh, Oktoberfest special that's coming soon. Um, we're actually doing um, a, kind of a thing on the confluence of beer and nerd culture. And we're going to be doing it from a brewery. Um, we've already roped in um, two local breweries. Um, we can talk a little bit about Sun King. We've talked about Sun King on the show before. But essentially, um, it's going to make Andrew the happiest person in the world. And, um, and we're really happy to be uh, getting a chance to showcase the, the cool local beer culture and also the nerdy culture. We're going we're gonna to get down to the wheat genomes. We're going to do some cool stuff. Gabe, that was super impressive. I'm actually, I do the distracting. I'm not really that easily distracted. He was doing all sorts of flailing and immature things that really, I mean, <laughs> I, let's be honest. I, I'm, I'm quite good at distracting people, so it just it, it did not affect me. Oh, sad day. Anyways, um, yes. There's a lot of cool stuff going on, man. Yeah. Oh, and um, yeah, we can officially talk about the Hellwalks the Earth event. Is that official? Yeah. Yeah, man. I said it would be official in like two days. It's official in the fact that we know that it's going to happen. Okay. We're nailing down a date. That's the only thing that we're waiting for. It's happening. We're doing a Hell Walks the Earth double feature. Live event. Live event. Live kind of epic show. I know, right? Hosting a panel with the filmmaker and several of the zombie extras because we're them. Yes. That was, a, that was a fun day. 
So we get a chance to showcase um, really one of the birthings of kind of the undead birthing of kind of epic. Is it? How? In that you were, it's your on-screen debut, David. That's if I haven't even seen it. I don't even know if I'm in the cut. Which is why we're going to have fun because we've never seen either of these films. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That'll be fun. We do know that Andrew's in it because there's a DVD extra on YouTube. Really? Yeah, and Andrew's in it for like three seconds. Really? Yeah, so at least three seconds of kind of epic screen time. Oh, nice. But the the reason that it's fun is there are over Gabe, 400 zombie extras. This is our outro. I assumed you were going to edit. You said you were going to edit. This is our outro. Well, why can't we just press the space bar then? Listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song Zombie Kids. If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M I K U S, and you know the rest. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep listening.